Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number 100, a very special episode for many good reasons. The first thing being that we have invited onto our show for this 100th episode, Dr. Scott Ross. I have known Scott for many years. He is one of the original founders of Digital Domain way back in 1993 and sort of a godfather of a lot of the innovation that happened in the world of visual effects. A very important person, and it was a true honor to have him to come on to the podcast with Eric and Dan and I. So very happy that Scott was able to join us. And of course, we asked Scott, what movie do you want to cover? And he chose the perfect Martini Giant episode to do for our 100th episode, Apocalypse Now. As you guys know, Apocalypse Now is an absolutely amazing film, directed, of course, by Francis Ford Coppola in 1979 and of course this show is goes long as it always does and scott was only able to join us for the first two hours but dan and i can uh, and eric continue to go for another hour and a half beyond that uh in the true fashion of martini giant so very excited to have that now the other big announcement to do this is that for uh for our next 100th episode 100 episodes we are trying to do a complete renaissance of what martini giant is so the first thing we're actually going to be doing is uh, we are actually going to be starting to do these on video form. So you can go to the Martini Giant uh, page and check out our YouTube uh, link in there and you can go to our YouTube channel and you'll be able to see this whole thing in a video on YouTube, which is really, really cool. So go to martinigiant.com and check that out. And of course, as you guys know, we record all of these on Twitch, so don't forget to check us out on Twitch. This was actually recorded several weeks ago, uh, but we'll be able to do uh, that as well. So uh, check out Twitch. Just go to twitch.tv slash martini underscore giant, and we record all these shows, and we do watch parties uh, generally on Saturdays around 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So go check that out. We'd really like to have you guys be part of the conversation on Twitch as well. Uh, and of course, you can join our Discord. And if you'd like to join our Discord, where you can make suggestions of films or just generally have banter with all the other Martini Giant fans, you can do that as well. And I'm going to put a QR code, which should be up right around here. And go check out that QR code, and it'll give you a link to our Discord. But for now, please enjoy, finally, 100 episodes, Apocalypse Now, with Dr. Scott Ross as our very, very special guest. All right, Scott. Yeah. Thank you so much for thank joining you for, us. Oh, you're uh, pleasure. Love, love the suggestion of Apocalypse Now. Uh, I know that those guys watched all three versions of it, so that's a big commitment of nine hours of Apocalypse Now. I was gonna, yeah. I mean, that's on my that's on my calendar anyway. That's most Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Wednesday sober. Yes. <laughs> so it's been uh, it's been cool. Uh, obviously, uh, I don't think uh, I don't think you need an introduction. I know who you are. I think most people know who you are. But just in case people don't realize uh, who you are, uh, you have uh, I first met you when you were still uh, the owner, uh, one of the owners of Digital Domain and uh, CEO of Digital Domain, and that was when I started my career in visual effects. 
uh, on day after tomorrow, of all things, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is another apocalypse now moment. <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, were, you were trying to keep the spirits up, kind of like uh, Robert the Fall with the surfing. <laughs> all the bombs are One of these days, the film's going to end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, best part, the best part about that movie is we had a visual effects supervisor who was blind in one eye, too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she had no ability to be able to see 3D. She, no. she also oversaw Terminator 2 3D as a supervisor, which I don't know how that happened because she was she couldn't see 3D. She had one eye that didn't work. Well, wow. maybe, like, maybe she just switched shares while doing dailies. Like yeah, that's this. right. <laughs> it's funny. When I was talking earlier about grad school, there was a guy in grad school with me who is now a really famous, I won't give his name, um, production designer, and he's colorblind. Wow. That's and I'm like, what? But Grayscale, he's got nailed. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> his Grayscale like, values are, are really good. <laughs> he worked on Mank, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I do know. I do know some compositors that have colorblindness issues, and they work by the numbers. They just look at the numbers and say, "I think this is correct." Right. Whatever you guys are getting out of it, these are the numbers. That's right. It's like that bit from uh, Ed Wood when he was like, "Oh, do you like the red one or the green one?" He's like, uh, "I don't know, the dark gray one." (laughs) I remember back in the day, I, 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 when my freshman year in college, which would have been 1969. I drove up to Buffalo to see a friend and I was driving with my roommate guitar player, rhythm guitar player in my band friend, we're driving up and it was fall and it was magnificent. I mean, just magnificent. And of course we smoked a couple of doobies on the way. And (laughs) as we're riding up, um, I'm going, God, Jeffrey, look at the colors of these trees. He said, wow, wow. We realized later Jeffrey's colorblind. He saw none of the autumnal (laughs) colors whatsoever, but in his mind. Yeah. Yeah, he's on point. That's all right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Randy, Randy, that. Randy Sharp was telling us a story about how he figured how they figured out he was colorblind when he was a little kid. I guess he was playing in the backyard with some Legos and uh, his mom said, oh, bring in, all, you know, get clean up all your stuff and bring him in. And he did. And she yelled at him because he didn't bring in all the ye- le- Legos. And she realized that he didn't bring in all the red ones. And they blended it because the grass, you couldn't see the red, the, the, right. the red ones in the grass. Right. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's how I figured I was colorblind. Uh, here's, a, okay. here's a question for you, Scott, for somebody who's done so much in your life. When you look at this movie again, because I always talk to these guys about the seventies and like for the music and for the film, does it make you look back at that era? Like 79, like the clash, like all this time of the seventies, like it's so different the way you look at a movie all these years later, it's like still like watching it for the first time. And I don't get that a lot with newer or films, films, even from the nineties for me, it's just like, Oh, okay. It doesn't have this, um, wonder about it, I guess. Well, I think From that the, period, I think the zeitgeist of the time was like Paris in the twentieth in the in the nineteen twenties. Yeah, where, where uh, all of the art forms were sort of intertwined, and they were all making statements that we, as a younger generation, were looking to be able to make in a very sort of straight white IBM kind of world, mm-hmm. and and apocalypse now 
really was one of those kinds of films, but there were there were lots of them uh, at that oh, time. Yeah. And and as a result, I think there were. I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, I taught a, a college class in rock and roll, and um, you know, I would play these tracks of like Big Bill Brunzi and and you know, like real real Delta Blues stuff, and the students really reacted to it in a way that they could understand that it was the real deal, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to taking a cover version of it, which they thought was pretty good and the production was great, the instrumentation, but they they related so much more to the original because it was the real deal. It came from the artist's heart and soul as opposed to, you know, Whitney Houston doing a cover of something or, right. you know, Right. Mariah Carey doing a cover of something. So I think that's what these films are about. These films are really political, sociological statements of the zeitgeist of that time. time. And as, as a result, I think they ring true to this mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Like, like the seventies. I mean, we 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 do talk a lot about the seventies uh, in particular. Like the seventies American cinema is like is this like one of the greatest of, periods. Yeah, just of incredible. Time yeah, I, I I'm not nostalgic, but there's yeah, like it's well. That's the thing. It's like it's not like a. It's not like oh, the good old days. Like these things, waves of this come and go for every country on earth. You know, and it's like America hit its stride filmically in the 70s, you know, like uh, like it's arguable that like England hit its in like the 60s, you know, just a little bit beforehand, you know, and like uh, Australia in the mid 70s, that kind of thing. Um, but like America has had a couple of good rounds of great filmmaking, but the 70s is like. It's like it, when, it, when you talk about like Apocalypse Now, it's such an impossible achievement to imagine now. Like, I don't know how we ever get back yeah. around to that. Mm. Like, that's it is like it's the it's the end of the 70s. It's the end of the uh, letting all these artists do whatever the hell they want. Give them all the money they they need. And you end up with this like tremendous explosion of art. That's a popular event. And then after that, you never ever see it again. Like, it's just gone. It, it was a real coming together at us. You know, it, it was a perfect storm in the sense that the old white men that were running the movie studios in the 50s and 60s with the with the with the cultural revolution that happened in the late 60s, early 70s, their audiences changed. And once their audiences changed, they didn't have a clue. They were like, what the hell do we do? Because I, I don't understand it. And with films like, you know, Easy Rider and stuff, where it had such great success culturally, they didn't understand it at all. So they oh. still wanted to make Doris Day movies. Singing movies. <laughs> right, you know, that's exactly. what they wanted to right. do. And then, you know, I'll drop a little names here. I, I had a my, one of my favorite directors who I spent a bit of time with is Marty Scorsese. And Scorsese said that a lot of it had to do with the advent of handheld uh, 16 millimeter cameras. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. And that once you were able to get away, away from these giant Mitchell 35s with sure. moral heads and, and the way in which they shot films, now filmmaking fell into the laps of, of, of avant-garde filmmakers. And at the same time, the studios were going, well, these avant-garde filmmakers seem to be selling stuff, sort of like what the record companies were doing. They didn't they didn't get it either, you know, mm -hmm. and so they just mm -hmm. allowed it. To, and, and it was the the undercurrent of capitalism 
that allowed it to happen because you know, movie people are like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. So these guys are selling tickets. All we want to do is make money. <laughs> right. We just want to make the money. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. <laughs> That's it. You do it, kid. Right. Yeah, just be exactly. done on time. Yeah. And that was that was basically it. The other thing I noticed watching it a bunch of times again this week, and for somebody who's been in visual effects, not as, we've all been in visual effects, like how real everything was. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like just the explosions and just the, the plane in the tree. It's like, oh, that's not CG. It's just a tree. <laughs> <laughs> a literally put plane in a tree. I felt like I was right. in, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, oh my God, that's real. Right. That's like a real right. plane sticking out yeah. of the ground. And right. it was just beautiful to see real. Their smoke yeah. budget was crazy. <laughs> yeah, they burned a lot of tires in that show. The pyro budget must yeah, have been out of this insane. world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, can, I think the budget the budget I read was thirty three million to make that film, which in nineteen seventy nine was a lot. Of what money. is it in net present value for today? Do you, I don't. I, I think don't know. It's a, I think it's like a buck ninety. I think it's like it's way the hell up there. It, yeah. it was just unprecedented, absolutely unprecedented. And, and like, million to, yeah. So yeah. like, they, and the thing is, I mean, like they were caught yeah. in a they they like the studios with Apocalypse Now. They were caught with sort of a um, you know, it's like what's the the gamblers. Um, fallacy, <laughs> like where they're just like, well, we've already spent so much money. What the only way we can pass the hole is with more money. That's and called like, the Heaven's Gate theory. Yeah, the Heaven's Gate theory, right? And then like, and so it's all like, there they have. He's out there, and uh, he's out there in the Philippines, and and he's just like, I need more money, and one and eight more months, and they're like. I guess so. <laughs> Take yeah. it away, man. It wasn't 18 months. The whole shoot was 18 yeah. months. Yeah. It's well, there was that's a heart a- attack in the middle of it. Right? Yeah, there yeah, was. That's right. And, yeah. the, and, and they changed the lead role, too. Wasn't the lead role supposed Cartel. to be like Harvey Cartel? Cartel. Cartel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's like in uh, if anyone's seen uh, the documentary, the awesome documentary called uh, Hearts of Darkness. Darkness like with the, the moment when, you know, uh, Sheen's had his heart attack and uh, you have Coppola's on the phone with the studio guys and he's saying like marty's not dead until i say he's dead (laughs) (laughs) the best out of all that there was some photo of him with a gun to his head i was like oh my god that's pretty much says everything about him during that time no that's it's the why it's like it it's it's everything i mean this is one of my favorite movies of all time but that movie is it's everything it's everything all at once for the 70s like it's not even like it's a political movie in that it's uh it's i mean it's about vietnam obviously but it's not even political in terms of like making a one side or the other statement is just showing you raw insanity all the time but the one great political statement uh, at least on the the, the recut that i always remember and i reminded this week is when the frenchman said you do all this for n- nothing like you're chasing right. after nothing. Right. And the depressing thing is that we've repeated that with Iraq and all this stuff. Course, it's like yeah. we it's like our stupidity just repeats itself. Well, like we've never learned from our history. It, it, it's stupidity informed by profit. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, still, it's right. you know, it's like the only war wor- the only war worth fighting that, you know, that I can think of was the Second World War. Right. I mean, yes. You know, not even the Civil War. Personally, I think Lincoln should have said, you know what? You can keep the frickin' South. Just let us take all the black folks. <laughs> like, we'll right. give them jobs and right. we'll, you know, we'll have them come to the city. We'll yeah. give them housing. Keep your damn yeah. South. And then your your economy can, can collapse and then you can come back That's to us right. there. <laughs> I don't even know if we want them back. Let them collapse, right. yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, but no, like Vietnam is, uh, because like yeah, with, with World War II, like it's, 
like my, my father was in World War II and his whole point of view on World War II is like, like, that's the kind of war that you need. Like, if it's gone, if it's gone this far, you have to do this. There's no way around it at a certain point. Right. Um, and it and it, and that like the only way to avoid it was to avoid it way, way earlier when it was obvious that something like this was going to happen. And that's when we we tried to not do anything about it then. And that's why it built up into a mess. Well, but with like Vietnam, you have like that's just like the French are occupied because well, we were helping the Vietnamese. Like we want we supported the Vietnamese uh, the, well, uh, through military. Like, through yeah, Kennedy. Like, and like we like we're trying to support them for a while. And it's only the French that we eventually had to side with the French. And then we just get stuck in there while the French leave. Well, I blame yeah. Oswald on that one. Well, wait yeah, a second. Have you guys have you guys seen the Fog of War? Yes. Oh yeah, Errol Morris. Yeah, it's fantastic. Right. So Incredible. Errol Errol gets McNamara, who was at the time Secretary of Defense, mm -hmm. to basically say he lied about the Gulf of Tonkin mm -hmm. to it's be crazy. able to get us straight into up the scam. War. Straight, straight up scam. scam. By the way, as was Pearl Harbor, in my opinion. Yep. But it was done yeah. for the right reasons. Roosevelt knew that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. Come on, it's, cer Come on. it's certainly like yeah. it's it, like it's not unreasonable to think that that may happen. Think that and you, like, yeah, and you let it happen in order to to make have a reason to uh, to get in. Yeah, they're like they're, we have a whole bunch of ships yeah, at Pearl. You know. The Americans <laughs> didn't want to get in. And they didn't right. want to get in because it was a result of the First World War. Right. You know, over there, over there. We, you know, Americans were saying, why were we having our young men killed fighting, you know, in France somewhere and being gassed? Because it doesn't affect our life whatsoever. Right. So when the Second World War came around, Congress and, and the American populace were just not saying, I'm going to get into war. He needed a, a, an extenuating circumstance. Right. And then Hitler declared war on us. That's true. Yeah, right off of that. That's right. right. Yeah. Which well, was stupid. Did I, I told you guys a story about my great-grandfather in, in England, right? So my great-grandfather was General Wade Hampton Hayes, and he was oh. part of the – he was part of the uh, uh, the the – he was in England, sort of uh, having the American home guard in England, and he was at odds with Ambassador Kennedy, who did not want to go into war. Right, yeah. And basically, he said, we need to help our allies short of nothing. You know, right. everyone's like, we we'll need to do help our allies short of war. He's like, no. And so he actually apparently had a big yelling match with Kennedy. Uh, and eventually we ended up going to war. So he was uh, he was kind of a big part of that that initial movement from the military to get into cool. the, to, to beat the Beat the but yeah, like the, that's that's the thing, right? It's like there's there's no moral reason to be in Vietnam, no, at all. No, I had friends who came <laughs> no, back and said that if 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 we were at least fighting for good weed, I might have been. <laughs> that's something, <laughs> right? That's something. The <laughs> reason, right? No, because it's like there's a uh, Ken Burns did a great documentary on. Um, uh, on Vietnam that I like quite a bit. And it really fills in like the, like all the weird subtle traps we fell into. But by the time, like with McNamara and Fog of War, and because uh, I actually saw, um, I saw Fog of War at Harvard uh, with Morris presenting it. And wow. afterwards he, he fielded questions. And this one guy in the audience was so pissed off. He was just like, you've humanized McNamara, you know, like you, like you made him into a, a, a person. Right. And and Errol Morse goes, don't get me wrong. I hate the guy. Right. Like I hold him responsible for all of this stuff. Right. But the whole point of making the movie is that when you think of people like this as a cartoon instead of as a person, then you're always going to be blindsided by people like people. this. That's right. You know, like you, you got to be able to identify them <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. Did you guys know that Errol Morris did a bunch of work at D.D.? 
I, yeah, I had heard that. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah what? He was doing like some documentary, commercial documentary footage, and I forget what company it was for, but it was in the commercials group. And he like he hung out, and we got to talk to him and whatnot. Oh, we hung so up for like about a man, week. Have you you met Roy Orbison? I'm always I know I did. It bothers me till to this day that you get to do that. Chuck Berry. But how about that Roy Arbison line? That is just... I love... I used to knock on the door in your office and like chitter-chatter. Uh-huh. I, I know the people that worked with you would be like, why are you walking into his office? I'm just going to ask him. music, shut tra- up. I know. I was like, he's cars and stuff. Yeah. Um, but Roy Arbison, I can't tell you how much I love. And the fact uh-huh. that you met him, it's like, ugh. Yeah. You also had when we were when when I was there, you had that uh, Norman Seif exhibit that you put up. Yeah. All the that was amazing. <laughs> I have the book. I have the a book. Norman's book. latest book or the 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 one from that from that, from that, that time show. period. Yeah. yeah. Now the the best story of all, you know, my my best story being really, I've met a bunch of directors and a bunch of art, uh, actors, and you know, Robert Wise is the only director that really wow. impressed me um, mm. because well, Marty Scorsese, yeah, but. Um, you know, I'm most, mostly impressed by musicians. And the highlight of my life was when I was a junior in high school, I actually got to record in the recording studio with Jimi Hendrix. Oh, my Sixth, God. Sixth Street oh and, God. and Eighth. It was at Dude. the record plant. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on 44th Street. Four, yeah, 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 yeah. Or Electric Ladyland. OK. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I used to live in the on uh, 10th and ah. 7th. And uh-huh. so I used to always going to NYU and stuff pass uh, electrically. You got to meet Jimmy then. I got to I got to hang out with Jimmy for a day, and he asked me to record a track with him. He gave me a cowbell, threw me out in the studio, and I, I played <laughs> cowbell to, to Stone Free. Oh my god! Wow! Yeah, I would, that would be that would be my go-to cocktail party. Was the guy Marshall producing? Who was the guy? It was uh, Gary Kelgren and and um, Eddie Eddie. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, Eddie Kramer. Uh, that Kramer. That's right. Gotcha. Holy moly! I, I would say yeah. I, would, I would find a way to. Work We're getting some good reactions in the yeah. chat. Like about J- Jimmy Hendrix getting a cowbell <laughs> is like that's one of the great things you could possibly so say. So amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I hope Casey's listening. Casey Ben, if you're out there, I work with him. He's an old DD guy too. Oh yeah, Casey's uh, yeah. like, yeah. I, I got him on. Hello, Casey. I got him yeah. to listen today. Um, oh, nice. I can't. That is Casey. <laughs> that is Casey. So good, uh, good to see you in hey, chat. Casey. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for coming. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's do do you guys have? Uh, do you guys have any questions for Scott? Just put, uh, make yeah, sure. Put them in the chat. Them. We'll put them in a chat. We'll, uh, we'll do them through. Uh, like, all right. which guitar are you going to give Eric? Let's do that. 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 Let's do Hey, it's our 100th episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we work out a good gift. It's fine. Uh, we actually have Did some. You get that at Norman's? <laughs> Say what? You get that at Norman's, Rare Guitars? I don't remember where I got it. I think I bought it from somebody. Yeah. Nice. See, what I decided, I'm not really a good guitar player. I'm a much better saxophone player. And so when I was a kid and played in bands, there were like guitars that 15-year-old boys lust after. And so I got them all except for an SG standard, which is the mm. only one that I don't have that I used to lust after. You know, some guys used to put up like posters of, you know, Brooke Shields or Farrah Fawcett on their wall. <laughs> I had posters of like Gibson guitars. I had Pete Townsend. 
Yeah, I had Robert Wise. Paul so Weller was the GM. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Wise. I had Robert Wise posters. So, yeah, you know, okay, so that's yeah, kind of the same thing. It's it. Fritz you know, Lang posters. Farrah, Farrah Fawcett, Fritz like Lang. Farrah, Fritz, Lang. Fritz Lang in a bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> and Farrah Fawcett. Ah, that's perfect, dude. That's perfect. I love this. Uh, anyway, I, like, I, w- I would like to say, I would just like to say thanks to everybody in chat for coming because this is our 100th episode. We're very proud to have Scott Ross here with us today. Uh, and we are talking about Apocalypse Now, if no one caught on to that. Uh, <laughs> sort of. Uh, sort of. Well, yeah, this is the flow of the conversation. This yeah. is why I thought you would be perfect for this because yeah. you get it. <laughs> There's a little bit of ADD going on. but it's, yeah, it's, this, is, this is just sort of like the like radio. You have to do a radio station identification. You have to do that with what we're actually supposed to be talking about is Apocalypse Now. That's the thing. You can tell from the background of Chris's picture. It's something to do with helicopters. So it's either <laughs> now or it's John Carpenter. That's what we know. So a couple of things we do, Scott, one of the mottos of our podcast is actually movies you uh, never got around to watching and now you don't have to. So we basically kind of tell you the plot of what's going on in a very loose way. Uh, and uh, so we can do that. And then we obviously interrupt each other constantly with facts and figures or, or anything that happens uh, along the way. So, uh, Apocalypse Now. So first of all, the story of making Apocalypse Now is almost more important than the actual story itself. It's also like, Apocalypse Now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Truly yeah. So, so I want to note that this was, you know, we've, we threw out a couple of ideas of, of podcasts I wanted to do with you. We actually thought about doing Blade Runner with you and you like and he said, you know, I'm gonna talk about my favorite movies. And you gave us several several of them. You gave Apocalypse Now, you gave uh Lawrence John. of Arabia uh, and a couple of other ones. And I, I think I said, no, yeah. Cinema Paradiso. That's and one so, of my favorite movies. Are you serious? Yeah, movie. Oh my god. Then I got it. Okay. I'm gonna send you something after this. That's okay. where do you live, Eric? Right now, we left L.A. two years ago. My daughter goes to high school uh, with her cousins here in Florida. So I moved Florida. to Florida during the pandemic, and my daughter nice. is in high school with her cousins and happy. We were living in K-Town, and during the pandemic, we're like, you know what? Let's do the right thing. And the Galbi so is not worth it. Yeah. What is? The Galbi is not worth it to live in What's K-Town. <laughs> no. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, what I was going to ask you is – do you remember where you were when you first saw this film? Were you in New York, LA, San Fran? Were you excited to see it or you're just like, Oh, you know, I'm going to check this out. I was heard about it. You heard that this was going on. You know, I was a big political animal then as I am now, maybe more so then. Um, At the time I was just a little left of Che Guevara. So anytime there, and I was, you know, I was of draft age. I was, I was, I could have gone easily. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, any movie having to do with Vietnam, full metal jacket, et cetera, I would, I would go see. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember where I was. I was probably living the year, the release year is 1979. 79. 79, Yeah. yeah. So 1979, I am, living in the Bay Area, probably in Palo Alto. So I probably wow. saw it at one of the Palo Alto theaters. Okay. You know what I realized on this week's uh, reviewing it many, many times was that uh, Mickey Hart and Bill Kreutzman played on it? Sure. Like, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know part of the dead played on that. It was crazy. Yeah. 
That's wild, dude. Yeah, like well, this Francis is-, is a Bay Area guy, and that's he right. Was yeah, very much involved in the counterculture, and you know, there's Carmine, and you know, he 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 puts his relatives in the film. He, you know, yeah. this is an Abu Danza Italian dude, right? Right. Yeah. And his attitude is familia, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's hanging out with all of those people and and inviting them in. That's and he was also he was also sort of the uh, you know uh, mentor to George Lucas obviously and and during the zoetrope uh, uh, right I mean this was also the conversation this was actually yeah conversation oh. yeah exactly I mean and Lucas was involved with Apocalypse Now early on when uh, he was like, he uh, almost he was supposed to direct it at one yeah. point wasn't because because uh, John yeah. Milius wrote the original draft of the screenplay well I have right. a John Milius story God many many of you might know that I I have and still finally got back from he who cannot be named uh, who bankrupted Digital Domain. Mm-hmm. I finally got back <laughs> uh, my screenplay that I had developed over 15 years. Oh, uh, the you got it back. Dreams. Yeah, I oh, finally yeah. Right. got it back. Right. And, um, you know, while I was at DD, I was really actively looking to get this put into production. And so Milius had heard about the screenplay. And the screenplay, for those of you who don't know, is... Uh, fictionalized version of a love of a couple that fall in love uh, an ex russian who dis, who gets out of russia as a you know as a little boy when the when the the czarists get killed and 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 he escapes to the united states becomes an american and um is a member of the oss which is the precursor to the cia in france and ultimately gets to be part of the russian delegation which is true to, to go to Japan to try to end the Second World War and falls in love with his with his interpreter, who is a 19 year old Japanese girl. And and um, and it's about the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima. And it's a giant anti nuke movie. Mm-hmm. So Milius hears about it. And of course, I'm going to take the meeting with Milius. Sure. And I drive <laughs> to the Paramount lot and he's redone his office. And he's hung pictures of mutually assured destru- destruction and generals and photographs of atomic <laughs> right. explosions. Right. Yeah. That's Milius. Yeah. And he sits down and he says, I want to direct this sucker. And I said, OK, John, but talk to me about, you know, what's going on in the office. He said, I did it particularly for you because I really want to direct this movie. You know, and I said, you do realize this is an anti-nuke movie. He said, no, it's not. It's a movie about mutually assured destruction. It's what it's the the reason why there's peace on this planet. Peace is on this planet is because we've got to build bigger nuclear bombs. That's like right. Oh, <laughs> Sounds great, John. <laughs> what? Um, you know, oh man, you know, my people call your people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, like what? That millions, like millions. This is like that's great. It's a great documentary. He's he's become much more sort of right wing, hasn't he? Oh, he actually passed away. Pretty- Right wing at that meeting too. He was always right wing. That's crazy. But like uh, this is sort of what what makes Apocalypse Now so fantastic is that you have left wing Coppola directing right wing Milius' screenplay. So it's like these the tension is just is all over. That's it's incredible. But Milius, there's a great documentary on Milius called Milius, and uh, and you can really see like this guy. You know, he's one of these guys that wanted. He never went to war. He wanted to go to war because he wanted to prove himself a, a yeah. man, right? right. And, uh, and so all of his movies are these uh, amazing macho fantasies of what he wanted to be but couldn't. So you're right? basically saying John Milius is gay. 
Well, no, like what makes him fascinating, right? It's like because I actually I think that he's an he's an incredible screenwriter and like an amazing personality. I guess. Bigger than life, bigger than life, and there's an energy to there's an energy to him uh, that was like positively creative out of the fact that he was internally a very desperate person yeah right and so like i think that there's a it's like i always say like nobody makes action movies like republicans because they live in this sort of like fantasy world you think this is how it works so so the duval character is pretty much him yeah absolutely yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right in mind yeah like it's his fantasy that's absolutely when he's just like you know I, you know, like, I just want this war to be going on all the time. It's so funny can, you say that because they say in the movie, he's the only ca- ca- guy who's going to remain unscratched. Yeah. Like, he's just exactly. hanging out. Bombs are going off. He's just so oblivious walking to it. Through, Jason saying he's things going off around yeah. him. No fear. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Jason saying he's like John Goodman and Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Walter. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. about Brando? Mm. Oh, dear. But I, I find him the most fascinating character in the film, obviously. Yo, Brando? What, 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 Brando. Uh, what, is, what, what is your read on what Brando means in this movie? Because Brando himself as an actor is part of what makes, what makes this casting yeah. so great. You know, his history makes it great. He's only in it for 11 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but no. he makes it impact. <laughs> well, I think he's, he represents the insanity of it all. Right. That he, right. The ultimate insanity of war and what people will do when they're pushed so far that they can't tell right from wrong and have no sense of moral center. Right, right, right. I also see it as that <clears throat> there's a certain narrative and he went against the narrative and he becomes this criminal to the right, eyes well, of the military and stuff. Like he well, just stepped out of bounds. Don't think that way. But then he believes in it. And right. yes, well, he, he believes in it. Exactly. Because like, this is the, on my last rewatch, this last rewatch that this thought occurred to me that I was like, I think what's weird about this movie is that within the moral framework of the film, right? Kurtz is correct. Like he's the only one with integrity in the entire film, he has gone to do exactly what they ordered him to do in its purest form. Like he's actually, he's just like, well, you want me to do this? I'm going to go and do this. And I'm going to do it exactly the way it needs to be done with no baloney. And it's so horrifying and so terrible that the people that ordered him to do it need to kill him him. (laughs) because they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed for themselves. They're like, Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like he is like. Well, he's holding up a mirror to them, isn't he? He's like he's cutting to the chase. He's just like, this is what you guys intend to do here. Like this, like there. If we strip away all your baloney and all your lies and all your, you know, uh, fake out, uh, you know, false attacks and false flag nonsense, what you want to do here is murder everybody and take control. That's the truth. But you don't want to say that because it looks bad. Because like, it won't be accepted by the public. Exactly. Like you're doing it. I'm the one you told me to go do it and I'm doing it. And now you're embarrassed. And there's, and it's all summed up in that great line with um, Sheen in the beginning when he's like, you know, uh, uh, trying to put someone up for murder in, in this place is like handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the, the core of the madness of the movie is that war is murder. Like it's, absolutely wild moral free murder and you try to pretend like it's not so you can remain human but when you do that you go insane 
you know and it's yeah. it's a it's a beautiful way to Perfect. put it it's, Perfect. it's horrifying yeah exactly no. yeah especially when they, when they stop the people in the boat oh, oh my god, god. it's the <laughs> horrifying, horrifying. It's, the, it's the most disturbing scene so is that the scene movie. with Lawrence Fishburne when he loses yeah. his shit? yeah 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 yeah, it's it's first true. of all, let's talk about Lawrence Fishburne, who was actually fourteen when this was made. Which which is iconic <laughs> for the movie incredible itself. life. It's like, yeah, it's like like this this poor kid. It's like he's it living the apocalypse. Like he's living Vietnam for the movie because you have kids in Vietnam that were like seventeen, 18, whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. And Lawrence Fishburne ends up on this, and then in the making of, he's like. uh He's like, oh, you know, I'm really excited to be on this movie, man, because, you know, out here you can do whatever you want. That's why. And he says, that's why people must have had so much fun going to Vietnam. And I was like, <laughs> cut, to the sure. end of, cut to the end of shooting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. We'll see yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. Insane. Insane. So, yeah, everybody knows that Brando didn't ever rehearse his lines and didn't yeah know, it's all improv ear yeah <laughs> well at this point I, it was not an earpiece right um what he was doing it was he had cue cards that the opposite that whoever he was speaking to let's say sheen sheen would hold up the cue card and he would speak to sheen and he would just read his lines <laughs> no no what what i was listening to coppola saying that one of those pauses that we all know him for, like Brando's pause, and mm. it's because he was trying to remember his line in the 50s. And everyone said he always had this kind of casual <laughs> realness, but it was actually, he was trying to just remember his lines because he's not, he didn't have a great memory. Isn't that a Spencer? <laughs> that's a Spencer Tracy thing, right? He would, uh, he'd look down at the floor to consider something, and then actually the cue card was on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end, he really didn't remember lines. I mean, people oh, were sure. like hanging from trees with holding cue cards and yeah. everything. Who, Brando? But, like, Brando, yeah. Well, and they, and like, they were just I love Scott, 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 remember when uh, oh, Shane Mahan was telling Shane Mahan, Shane Mahan was telling this, this story about the, uh, the island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, it was oh crazy. My God, I can only imagine. <laughs> I, had, I had Shane and Kevin Mack on stage. Oh, I love Kevin. And, and Kevin, Kevin was the visual effects supervisor on Island of Dr. Moreau. And Shane was the creature, you know, supervisor on Doc Murrow. He did all the masks and the makeup, yeah. But Shane has the Brando impersonation to a T. Right? <laughs> it was so funny. It, it was the funniest thing ever. I, 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 I peed my pants. It was I did, too. <laughs> it was so funny. He was talking about how he made his own makeup. Like, basically, he was supposed to go in and give Brando the makeup for Alan Doc Murrow and Brando made his own. He just put white shit on his face. Brando said he took rubber gloves and filled them with talcum powder and put them on his hands so his hands were long. And he said, so, so what do you think? And Shane said, great. Great. <laughs> and then he had he took he's like, he had this fruit basket in front of him. He's like, huh? And he took the fruit and he just dumped it out and put it on his head. He goes, that's my hat now. Yeah, I'm going to wear a bucket. What do you guys think? All right. <laughs> but it's sort, of, like, it's, sort of, it's sort of perfect that that's what happens to Coppola when he's trying to make a plot. Like he hasn't, like he doesn't know what the ending is. Right. He's been like working on this. Like he's already like millions and millions of dollars into this thing, and he's like, at very least, when Brando shows up, I have one of the great actors of all time, and he's gonna 
he's going to be the anchor for the picture. And then Brando shows up. He's like 60 pounds overweight. He's just like, oh, I don't know my lines. And uh, then he tries to make out, like he tries to leave with like a million bucks and they, they finally pull him back. And just like it, without that kind of challenge for Coppola, I wonder if this movie would be as great as it is because nothing makes you think harder. And, you know, I think we all know this from working at VFX. It's like when you, when you think something's going to go great and then it fucks up, you have uh, to really, really you have to do it now man <laughs> plus, plus look at the environment that he's in it's like one thing if you think it's really going to go great and it fucks up and you're sitting in an air on chair at a visual effects studio he's in like the philippines covered <laughs> with mosquitoes and outrageous heat and humidity it's disgusting it's right yeah i think I, it was a, i think there was who was a uh it was it um it wasn't de niro it was pacino who was supposed to was had to possibly was given to roll the lead role as well and he says i'm not doing that i know what this is going to be like it's going to be you in a helicopter and me down in the shit for five yeah. months <laughs> i'm, I'm not, not doing do this movie no way am i gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I was listening to an interview with Coppola, and he was saying that um, <clears throat> that he the big concern for him was his weight because he was embarrassed about it. And Coppola? so there, no, yeah, Coppola's no, Brando's, Brando. Brando's weight. And right. so they had a they spent four days shooting days, not going to set, but just sitting in his air conditioned trailer, coming up with ideas of how to light him or deal with him because he didn't want to show his full body. To, to minimize what Who was, was so they put it on that movie Storaro. Storaro. Yeah. Storaro. i mean it's brilliant it's yeah. it's just brilliant but they planned it because yeah. he was it's very incredible. ashamed of it so yeah. he said just show and the thing by the fourth day and coppola was saying that he financed this by putting up his vineyard in his home in napa mm -hmm. as collateral so he had yeah. like if this movie went south, he lost yeah, everything. seven seven million dollars. <laughs> so every day yeah, he's sitting right. with with Brando in his trailer, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to take a lunch." The crew is just waiting for him to come out. He they spent four or five days talking about Heart of Darkness. On the fifth day, he's like, "So did you read Heart of Darkness?" He's like, "No, I never read it. I never read it." <laughs> Yeah, and I'm then he showed up go. on set the next day with it to him. Coppola read the book to That's him, incredible. just like, 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 like a little boy a reading a story. Mistake. He yeah. had his whole life uh, was tied up in this movie, and if it went south, so he was always stressed because. Uh, but the interesting, he was very ashamed of his weight. And that's where they came up with that creative idea, which actually well, worked. This is work. it, because like when your back's against the wall, you're going to come up with the best idea, you know. And By the way, like that's, that, a, that's yeah. a Francis move almost all the time to throw. Talk about entrepreneurial filmmaking, yeah. throwing everything at it that's yours. Exactly. I mean, right. he's doing it again with with Metropolis. Right. You know, he's, right. he's funded yes. something like $100 million of the movie of his own money. Yep. Leverages his, his, his doing empire. Metropolis? It. Yeah. yeah. Finally. It's, it's, uh, yeah, because he's wanted to do this for forever. Uh, yeah, 30, 40 years now, something like this. Ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, and like, he's finally, it's like, now that he's gotten all the, like, he finally put away enough dough to make this thing. Me it's me Megalopolis? Megalopolis. I can't remember. Like, Tropolis. it's like, yeah. Is it Metropolis? Someone, uh, Casey's asking, is it, is it a, re a remake of Fritz Lang's Metropolis? Or is it, that's what I'm confusing. Yes. Maybe, yeah. Okay. It so is. maybe it's that. Yeah. Yes. There, there it is. Okay. So, like, but like when he, because uh, I, I know, I know someone associated with this. And like, you're exactly right. He's just like, I'm just willing, you have to be willing to put, you, you have to be willing to come out broken living on the street. Like that's, well, what's that's his name? Your, Miller, who just came out with a movie that he did uh, out of nowhere. Of his own money, yeah. I want to see the... Tim Miller? No, um, not Tim Miller. Uh, the Frank Miller, the Australian oh. guy. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mad Max guy. What's his yeah. name? Mad Max guy. Right. Yeah. 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 Frank. He, is it Frank Miller? Why am I making it? George Miller. George Henry Miller. Miller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Miller. It's next to Texas and Lexus. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. It's a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. It's, it's so George Miller. Miller. It's George Miller. George Miller. Um, yeah. But yeah, exactly. Like he, like he's just like, if, Thank you, you, Jason. if you, you have to, you have to be willing to put up uh, as much as you want to care about the art, you need to put in as much as you care about and which is everything. Right. Like that's how that's how it's got to work and but like the thing is with, with coppola you can see like now he does a lot of a couple of pretty good movies after 1979 but for at least a decade oh. he's creatively destroyed God. right mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed you know, there's no, no no energy left after that thing uh, also I, he lost his son i think in 87 that's right, I believe he did so. roman gets killed by oh is it roman Yes, yeah, in a boating accident. Right. And you know who was driving the boat was the oh. son of Ryan O'Neill. Oh, jeez, um, really? Oh man, yeah, he was decapitated. Uh, in, oh, uh, that's awful. That's yeah, awful. but yeah, I mean, like, I think that that's the like trying to come back oh. from that. Kind Roman's of in the movie too, in the French scene. Is he? Oh, really? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. he is. He's one of the kids at the table. Right. That's a beautiful sequence. I wish it weren't in the other in the new. Cut. I wish it was in the original. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, it really helps. Right. It really it helps yeah. with this. We were here, we're destroyed, and you know you're chasing after nothing. Like the stupidity right. of it all. It really helps solidify all that. I also noticed in the redo, um, the opening was faster. You know, usually you're hold on those palm trees and the music, and you build this kind of. It immediately starts with an explosion. I'm like, they cut it faster. I don't know why they did that. Well, that's the thing. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, um, my favorite one is still the original cut. But like, there's, like, you can see, watching the thought process through the other stuff is fascinating to me. Especially the, the French plantation sequences. Because like, it really does this sort of, it's not just ghosts of the past coming to haunt you. It's essentially saying, this is who you're going to be. It's the prophet. Yeah. Yes. 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 Mike is asking if you guys think that the Redux is better. Now, Eric, I, I didn't, you know, honestly, I, I don't really have a particular opinion about it. I, I didn't. I like the, the, the pacing I like of the original. Like yeah, I like the French scene, but I like there's this visual pacing that they cut faster because I watched them back to back. And I was like, they slowed that scene down. Like, right. come on. One Sorry, of the great right. openings of all films of all time, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Good God. It's impossible to beat that. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. the way, I was watching yeah, this movie. again and again this week, and I was like, what if instead of Dennis Hopper, they used Diane Keaton, just like in Annie Hall? It's like, well, la-di-da, la-di-da. You've got to meet this guy. Anyway, and she's in like pants and going around. It's like, and everyone just starts dressing like talks so eloquently and unbelievable. you got to meet him. La-di-da. Well, I, I, I used to, I'll be honest, I used to hate And then Chris Walken could be the brother. I'm taking a pontoon boat, and sometimes I'm going to crash it. <laughs> Then I'll be I'm due back in America. Sorry. Yeah, I'm due back on back on my boat. Thanks. But yeah, like I, I used to I used to hate Hopper in this movie. Like I always thought he broke the tone of the movie. And now and now I'm like, this is the very point of casting Hopper. Like oh God. he is the Loose like, canon casting. Yeah, like he is like if you didn't have him, then you're not ready for Brando. Like he has to come in as this completely scattered, shattered weirdo who can't handle the vision that Brando 
is going to provide you. And it un, like it's unnerving. That's why I didn't like him before. I was like, this upsets me more than almost anything else in the movie is when. Well, he's supposed to be upsetting, yeah. right? Yes, like, that's exactly. The... <laughs> exactly. And, and so by the time we meet Brando, I'm like, oh, my God, if, if someone mess, if like this dude messes you up, like, <clears throat> you know, like uh, like Hopper's been messed up. Like, I don't want to meet Brando. This but is, the confidence and kind of craziness the way he just said, I'm an American. There was something about that really yeah. resonated with me because it was there's confidence. Just blow the horn, they'll go away. And I was yeah. like, that's so cocky, but that's <laughs> yeah. you got it. That's what I mean. That's what American I mean. exceptionalism. Yeah. yeah, I'm American. Yeah. Don't worry, give me your cigarettes. Just blow the horn, they'll go away. <laughs> and it's yeah. like yeah, you're uh, not, you're, you missed the boat already, my friend. As someone who used to, as someone who used, who's an American and who lived, uh, grew up abroad. I lived in Greece, and it, seeing American tourists in Greece was the most embarrassing thing. It was like <laughs> things they would say things like, "What's that in real money?" Like, it was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, buddy." <laughs> but what if they took out the Doors music in the oh, in Lord. the opening? It would have been work. totally different. It's the yeah. It's, so was I wonder if that was Walter Murch's choice. Uh, that's a great it was point. Coppola because they went to school together. Coppola, Coppola and the uh, Doors were to school, school together. With Ray at USC. And Jim, they were all at USC together. Mm -hmm. And he wanted. I listened to a story. This is interesting. Can I talk, Chris? Is that okay? Um, <laughs> Damn it! Let him. God, Jesus. I Chris told me I was only allowed to talk for a certain amount of time. But I had read this story <laughs> that he. But I thought about this. Like I did it back to back. I went crazy on this, but. He basically walked into the editing room and Merch was there and this other guy. And he said, what is all that stuff over there? And it was all that they ran five cameras on the explosion scene. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what is this? Like, well, that's this extra camera stuff. And he that's pulled it out for the explosion scene. and he said, wait a minute, let's let me try something. And then he grabbed a door song and they did this slow opening with a door song. He said, wouldn't it be funny if you start the movie with the song, The End? Yeah, and isn't right. that just but there was an organic kind of process where they're just figuring out stuff there. It's pretty much how much like we went to Vietnam. We just went in, took over, and we'll figure the narrative right. out and just right. figure it out. It was well, there, an there, arrogant, there's something beautiful. Weird. There's something beautiful to this idea of just like having like you hard charge into the situation with all these artists. And then uh, you see in the documentary, like he loses confidence in himself two thirds of the way through. And he has put himself in the position of being uh, the main character of his own movie. Like he's just like, he has traveled up the river with this entire film crew. And now what, you know, I don't have an ending. I, I, have I always wondered about that. Like I, I'm the kind of guy, I don't know if you, you, you are the, the same. I'm the kind of guy who, when I lay down in bed at night and I'm involved in a big project or there's big issues going on, I'm like going, Holy shit. What am I going to do? This is yep. a, I, uh, like, how, how did I get here? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, why, why me? Why? And so I, I once asked Cameron when we were in the middle of Titanic and everything was falling apart. If you remember, there was on the front page of the trades, there was yep. this thing called Titanic Watch. Yes, right? yes, yes. I remember. And I, so I said to Jim, you know, do you ever really like sit up at night and question yourself and say, what the hell am I doing here? And the pressure get to you. What do you think his answer was? No. <laughs> is this the lawnmower story? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. His answer, was, his answer was no. It never gets to me because when I was a kid, I had this giant front lawn at my house, and I had to mow it. 
And so if I ever thought about mowing the whole lawn, it would freak me out. So what I do is I mow one lane at a time. Right. And then when I'm finished with that lane, I turn around and I mow the other lane. And pretty soon he said, I'm done mowing the lawn. Yeah, you're there. That's right. It's kind of like writing. You just got to sit yeah. down and do it. Because well, you, you do it in pieces. It, I said, don't write the whole the screenplay. Just write the opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just in the moment of the. That's that's actually that's a that's a great way to think about it. Because like the, these the the because I think that people don't uh, realize that you know when you see a great giant work of art like this, like this is literally a th- thousands of days worth of work. Didn't he shoot 120 yeah. hours worth of stuff? Yeah, it's just like ridiculous. <laughs> and when you yeah. think of it, if you think about doing all of that, you think it's impossible because you can't imagine, like, because you're thinking about doing it today, you yeah. know, and you're not doing it today. You're just doing this one little bit. Plus, there's like a, literally 800 other people doing this with you. you know? The other thing so, like, that's amazing is that they didn't have a lab in the Philippines, so right. they had oh, no dailies. No dailies. They shot the whole thing blind. Didn't they have, didn't they, that I heard, and I don't know, that they actually had, there was a lab in, um, was it in Japan or someplace, and they were sending footage over overseas. I don't know. I think they just took the whole thing with them back to the United States and they saw it for the first time (laughs) there. After 18 months of shooting, imagine just holding all of this undeveloped film. Think about the pressure on Storaro. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we Should checked the fine. gate, right? We checked the gate, right? <laughs> Giant palm frond right in front the entire time. The thing uh, about that, too, is that he leveraged his house, vineyard, everything. And that's even more of a pressure every night. Right. Sure. I mean, that's yeah. just like, oh, that's rolling the dice. Like, you wouldn't believe it's yeah. a lot of pressure. No, I, I can't say for sure, but I had heard there was some substance abuse as well uh, <laughs> in the movie. Yes. Well, that's because didn't Martin Sheen suffer from that? I don't know. Well, yeah, I think Martin Sheen was an, an alcohol. That's why he had a heart attack. That's yeah. what I had heard. Yeah, because I know on the Cotton Club, it, there was a snowstorm every yeah. day. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, because like, you can see, I mean, it's in the movie where she well, was Robert like, Evans too, bombed out of his mind doing that one scene. You know? Oh, yeah, Robert <laughs> Evans, good court. I mean, it's just like everybody, like everyone in the seventies, clearly, like part of their their courage as filmmakers was supplied from external forces. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, yes. when Martin Sheen was actually drunk when they filmed that, and they felt oh, yeah. really horrible, like filming him being. Drunk completely drunk and they're yeah. like no keep filming he's like this isn't right and he actually broke that mirror that mirror is a real glass really <laughs> yeah. yeah. and he actually bled yeah yeah that's just raw craziness that's yeah. but just yeah. the organizational aspect of that film like the sets are so huge and the extras and the explode. I mean, there's so much going well, they, on. And they built all the sets and they lost all of them in a, in a monsoon and then they had to rebuild them. Right. Like it was, it's just and like the commitment's insane. The, the U.S. military wouldn't give them uh, any of the uh, any of the uh, military equipment because of, you know, specifically this film is about going to assassinate. Do you know who said no to that? No. Who? The guy in charge? Donald Rumsfeld. He read the script and said no. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. So, so wow. now I hate him even more. <laughs> like you almost stopped the you, now. Did you have a Rumsfeld poster on your wall? <laughs> in a bikini? Darts in it. <laughs> what a great you know that, uh, Scott also, his license plate is stop 45. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is- Which I, I started thinking about that today as things are heating up and they yeah. are heating up. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion and conversation about what's going to happen if he's if he's, you know, indicted and then possibly even <laughs> right. convicted, I'm thinking maybe I need to change my license plate. 
Now, I might be safe in Santa Barbara, but if, you know, if I have to travel to like someplace outside of this little bubble, it could be pretty scary. Well, here's, here's my, how about, how about orange jumpsuit? Yeah. How about orange jumpsuit? Uh, yeah, no. It's, uh, I, here's here's my here's my suggestion: is you can have faith in the people that support them at this point will not put the mental time into figuring out your license plate. They will just be like, "I don't get it." <laughs> I don't know. I'm you, I, I've traveled. I, I drove up north. I drove through the Central Valley up north to visit some family. Right. And you know, there are people that pull up behind me really close and honk, and then oh, drive God. past me really fast and give me the finger. And you know, really, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, You're in Santa Barbara now. Yeah. No, no, he's, I'm in Santa Barbara. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it doesn't gotta, get in in Santa Barbara and gets in. in no, the no, Central no, he gets Valley. it outside the Central yeah. Valley, of course. Yeah. But like I, I heard a great uh, documentary on uh, on Watergate, Nixon, the whole thing. And like uh, the ending of the doc, uh, the ending of the podcast was really sort of is almost inspiring in that, like the Republicans were like long past when it's obvious how bad Nixon is. Like the Republicans are still hanging on to. Like, no, it's it's misunderstood, and this is all just blown out of proportion. And then at a certain point, it just all the support falls off. The tape. Yeah, it's just like there's – Right, yeah. that's the tape. Right, and it's, so like it's hard to. Though I think that if it was with Trump, you know, they actually remember grabbing by the you know what. Right. They had the tape, and they still overcame it. Right. Well, I think that even that, like, is still like the core of what he says there is still the the rejection of authority is still and the sort of the offense that he's willing to give is still attractive to people. Whereas, like, I'm selling nuclear secrets to the Russians is uh, <laughs> that's kind of hard. Now, to now what they're saying is it's planted evidence that oh, the FBI is deep oh, state God. and yeah, the evidence right, is right. planted really? because they're out to just get him. It's oh, so stupid. Uh, of course like, they're it, saying that. They have yeah. to they, they have to come up with like, like what can we come up with? What can we come right. up with? They have to defend their narrative. Otherwise, they'll be have to say they're like, "Oh, you know what? The last 4 years we've been lying to you." <laughs> yeah, in, in in terms of logical fallacies, this is called the uh the gambler's the gambler's problem because you've invested so much. It's like you've invested so much that you can't pull that out. You can't now. walk away from the table. You can't right. walk away from the it table. Isn't that you're talking about the Vietnam War? Yeah, this is the same thing. Well, right? it's I mean, the same like you're, thing. You're, you're, like you're committing yourself to something that you eventually know is ridiculous. I always wonder that. There's like on paper, it just seemed like it's just a waste of time. And I wonder yeah. what the mentality was at that time. Like, mentality by whom? I was there. So the mentality. So like it, the government, or I know everybody, the youth were against it, but like. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Why would you keep investing in time and lives and money just to? I'll, I'll tell you. So, so there's there's several things. First of all, the youth, much of the youth was against it. There was a bunch of like you know maggot people that were you know my father died in the Second World War and you're a patriot. Sure. You need to be a patriot and you're a commie. And there was a lot of that. You know, I remember going to there was a cinema out by my university called the Uniondale Mini Cinema. And they would show these midnight shows and they showed a midnight show of Patton. Yeah. And do you remember the scene when George C. Scott walks across the stage and there's this it's giant flag? Yeah. Well, you know, all of us long hairs were like, boo, hiss. A fight broke out. They had to stop the movie and call the cops. Oh, my God. Jeez. Wow. That's how crazy it was. So why did they do it? They did it for the reason they always do it. There is money to be made. Yeah. You know, listen to Eisenhower's military industrial complex. Yeah. Graph, famous. Yeah. And it's famous, obviously. And, yeah. and it's all about it's 
I mean, America, America's number one religion isn't Jesus, though they right. would like to believe it is. It's money. And, and it's all about making money and and throwing you know throwing another kid on the fire to burn them. We don't care There's, because it's it's our money. The, right. the scenes that stick out is seen again this week over and over. It was like like you talked about earlier the boat scene with just the animals and the fruits, the basics of life. Right. And they just assassinated everybody on board. Yeah. And then um, uh, what's his name? Don at the end with the ta- with the tape going of his mother. I was yeah. like. Well, just, what's, yeah. what's really heartbreaking about both of those things. Fishburne's actual mother who is reading. Oh, it's great. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, well, it's, what's really heartbreaking about both of those scenes is like the when they're searching the boat, like nobody wants to be searching the boat. Nobody on the boat wants to be searched. The captain, uh, like like uh, chief doesn't want to search the boat. It's just what he's supposed to do. Like he's like, this is what we're supposed to do when we're on the river. We're going to do this thing. I have to do this. That's I'm told to do this. So nobody right. wants to do this. Right. It all gets so heightened that it explodes and everyone is killed. And then you have Lawrence Fishburne, who's on the the uh, machine gun. Like the first thing he does after he's killed everybody is he looks at it like, "What the hell just happened?" Do. Lifts right. his glasses up, like, "Yeah, he's like, what?" Like, like as if he didn't do it himself, right? You know? Right? And like, I think that that's the real state of affairs for essentially everybody. In, in the country right now and for uh you know at, at at that time it's like the is like we push ourselves to this sort of hectic uh state of emotion uh that we have to defend like you know the republicans etc whatever like they feel like it's a, like if they were to cut bait now they're losing themselves right mm. and so they just keep on and I was corrected my McMonkey man said it's the it's the uh, it's the sunk cost fallacy, and it's just like when like you were like is so much identity is wrapped up in this that to stop it is to lose what you value. And when you said Scott, like that, uh, it's about money. Like this is the most tragic thing about all of this is like the all the, the reason why the Republicans are doing what they're doing and supporting Trump is not because any of them like Trump. Like it's because they, they know stay, they, they want to stay in power. They want to stay, want in, to power. stay in power. Yeah, and it's like, that's oh, it. and that's the they, they they say, oh, that's the new identity. That's the new. Right. That's the new. Uh, so they sell. Power. They sell. They sell their constituents this bill of goods about America in like in a variant of it, like that, like like we all want to believe in what America is about. Like we, this is a project where we all care about each other and want to do well and do good in the world. Like that's the, that's what the American dream should be. Right. And they sell that to them in a form that applies only to them. And there's these other bad Americans. They're barely even Americans called the liberals. And you have to, you have to fight against them. And and once you start fighting, it never stops. There's this wonderful cartoon. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a, it's a cartoon of three people sitting at a table with a pile of cookies. Have you guys yeah. seen this? No. So no. There's, a, there's one that looks like Rupert Murdoch, right? right? And he's got a giant pile of cookies. Right. And then there's like your working class guy, and he's got like a half a cookie. Right. And right. then there's um, the a poor black or brown immigrant, and he has no cookies. Hmm. And the Rupert Murdoch character saying, the reason you only have a half a cookie is because that guy stole your other half. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's the the most amazing scam in the world that they've convinced the working class people that that it's their fault. It's not the guy with the gold toilet. And that's another thing about uh, what happened in Vietnam is 
they convinced, and I have friends that went, they convinced these young men that they were doing the right thing by our country right. to go and fight in this war. And then when they get there, a lot of them have the Lawrence Fishburne reaction, which is, what the hell am I doing here? Exactly. Killing right. these people for no reason right. whatsoever. Right. Yeah, it's right. like exactly. the guy's like, I'm just wanted to cook. Right? right. He sees the tire. Right. It just and he I just wanted to be a cook. Yeah. Right. The, the line that, that, that I that I life. the line that I come up with all the time is a Max Van Sydow line from Hannah and her sisters when he says, if Jesus came back and saw what people are doing in his name, he would never stop throwing up. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's the truth. Like Scott, when you said it's just like the like these the people that are are doing these terrible things or like they're espousing terrible views, like they think they're good guys who are defending America because it's been framed for them as if that's what's happening. Right. But once you realize what's once you do the Lawrence Fishburne look like that's the come to Jesus moment when just like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Like, am I am I actually defending a dude who stole nuclear secrets? Like, that's when you should be like, OK, well, I'm <laughs> to question all facets of any governmental oversight as mm -hmm. being untruthful and not willing to not willing to, you know, to do the right thing. So. They're like let the the big thing now that I've heard is defund the FBI. Oh right. Oh my God. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And right. so right. now all of a sudden, like the Secret Service is the good guys because they deleted all the texts, right? Right. And the FBI and the Department of Justice are evil <laughs> because <laughs> like, these people work for you. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. And they were they were so, many of them were uh, set up by Trump himself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's wild. It's a, it's a wild. Trump's own judges told him he didn't win the election. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah. Just, I mean, like, so like, I think that like, there's like, I, I have a question for you. This is a general question, but for Scott, like, do you think it's possible to make a movie about these times now that could be as great as the apocalypse now, or are we hmm. too polarized to do that anymore? I think we're too polarized. I, I also don't know where the money would come from. I, when we get, we were talking about that, that, you know, that, zeitgeist of what was happening in the in the in the 70s yeah. where studios were going i don't know how to make any money mm -hmm. studios now go i know how to make money you make stupid marvel movies and you you make them available to the entire world and and chinese box office is really important to us so right. we're not going to invest that kind of money nor we're going to invest any money in the making of a movie like you're talking about now, that's not to say that an independent filmmaker wouldn't, you know, no. um, the problem also now is to make it to make something like Apocalypse Now today. I mean, what's that? A hundred and fifty million dollar movie, a two hundred million dollar yeah, movie. Easily. I mean, you might be able to do it on a streamer, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and convince like Apple TV to be able to do something like that. But I mean, they fun. try to do that with Don't Look Up, right? I mean, that was the. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. But right. that's not really, but that's not Apocalypse Now. No. Yeah, I, no, was, just, yeah. <laughs> I was just in an interview this week with Coppola, and he was saying that the original director, he, he was talking to George Lucas, and Lucas yeah. just wanted to do it with 16 millimeter. Yeah, like well, they, they, he wanted to do it as a documentary, yeah. They, well, they were, documentary like, style. Milius wanted to go to Vietnam while Vietnam was going on and shoot it there. 
Like he's like, uh, of, course been, he, of course he did. He did. Of course, of course that's that's great fantasy. That's nuts. Great fantasy. He's just like, yeah, we would have been there in time for Tet. You know, you're like, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, but yeah, like uh, I, I think that, and I think that like Lucas would like have tropical been, made, th- Tropic Thunder, man. Tropic Thunder, right. <laughs> and Lu- Lucas would have like at that time would have made a very interesting movie. He like he was when he was young, like a a really uh, avant garde, interesting yeah. character filmmaker. Um, and I think you know he got kind of trapped up in Star Wars and all that stuff. And even Star Wars remains very interesting, even the stuff that he does. Um, but man, you can just see like when you're just like, why don't we give this to George Lucas? And we'll shoot this on 16 millimeter and go to Vietnam. I mean, like I can't imagine anyone saying that now about anything. Like, well, like it's, it's a mindset that I don't know if we have. It's right like now. going to Ukraine now. Would you go to the Ukraine? Yeah, would you, to, to go shoot a film that I mean, just yeah, it's bizarre. It's I think there. if you were 23, 24 years old. And you had access to the technology that you have today that I think there are people that would want to do that. I, I don't know if you'd get distribution. Right. You know? Yeah. Do I you mean, need, that was the other key distribution. Though, now it was a major studio movie. Right. So it had a right. ton of P&A behind it. Right. And, um, you know, it was it was a perfect storm right at the perfect moment. And he was an Oscar, obviously, respected. Oh, yeah. Right? Godfather, et cetera. So he had two, like, two movies nominated for Best Picture in the same year. Mm-hmm. Conversation. But that period, too. It's like you had New York, New York by Scorsese. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, this. Everyone was to end um, Close Encounters. Those are the movies I really love because they seem to be going. There's something totally different about every one of those and I also love like um, the king of comedy. Like yeah. those kind of movies in that period was really different. But there's still- a there's a there's a doc out now. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called 1971, the year that music changed the world. I've seen it, mm-hmm. right? Because so- I'm working on a show that takes t- starts in '71. There you go. So it, at that point in time, all of the as I said, Paris in the 20th in the 1920s, all of the arts came. You know, were following a path that was counterculture. Right. Awesome. I don't, right. but this, this leads to a couple of things because you said, you know, you can't do that today or people are just going to make Marvel films. Well, we were just talking about how they were just going to make Westerns and Doris Day films forever. It, don't you think that at some point people are going to say, I'm tired of it? What's Easy like, Rider I, today? What breaks what, what's, it? Yeah. What, yeah. What, is, what, is the, what is the great film of 2022? Like, right. what, 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 what happened? Like, I don't Has, know what's. Yeah. Like, is, there, is there anything that we've seen? Is there anything you've seen? recently in the past like two years that comes close to the kind of art they were making at that period like is there anything that leaps to mind for anybody there's a couple of good i mean there's a bunch of good movies there's there lots of good stuff um but i mean like that that comes close to the easy rider phenomenon or the or the bonnie and clyde moment where everything just starts i like to the really happy brother stuff there's an edge of to i love it right yeah, I was a big fan of uh, Good Time and, uh, yeah. and Uncut uh, Gems. Yeah, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, I love. Yeah, I did not Pretty. like Good Time. Well, you, you didn't like. You didn't like the guy in Good Time. Like you don't like. Get, how about Get Out? Oh yeah, Get Out. Yeah, Get Out. Great call. Yeah. That's a great call. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's doing stuff that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, surprising. Like I did not expect that coming from him. Yeah, he's uh, a real talent, man. Like I actually, I would, I would go so far as to say, I like, I uh, my my favorite from him is actually Us in terms wow. of just. Moment to moment filmmaking, like that feels l- more like the kind of emotion that Hitchcock produced than almost mm. anyone I can think of. Like I, I was just like this. This guy is a real powerful filmmaker. I agree, and, and I don't know if he's made. I don't know if he's made his greatest film yet, but his skills are really unlike nobody else working today. Really, really something. Hey, by the way, do we have any? Do we have any twitching? 
Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look. Yeah, yeah. We do have some questions. We had one of the questions was specifically, "What's your favorite film of 2022?" <laughs> mm, good. So, it wasn't Elvis. Um, it was not. <laughs> but you know People what's cool about Elvis? Yeah. You know what's cool about? I watched it with my daughter the other night, and I love like it's music geeky stuff. But I love Scotty Moore ever since like college, and I got the first Sun Sessions Scotty mm -hmm. Moore and guitar, and I've been yeah. talking about Scotty Moore and. She's like, I really love those songs, like That's All Right, Mama, and, and stuff from Elvis. And the fact that my daughter likes that stuff from 54, 55 oh, sure. is crazy right. cool. Yeah. You know, it just it says a lot about the music itself. So. I'm, I'm really looking forward to Blonde, actually. Oh, hugely! I love that director. Yeah, that director is amazing. What, what is, help me out. What is that about? Blonde is the, the, the Marilyn yeah. Monroe film that's oh. coming out. It's directed uh, by Andrew Dominic, who did uh, Killing Them Softly and The Assassination of Jesse James. James. And, oh, uh, is that the same? Oh. So that movie, honestly, Scott, if you haven't seen The Assassination of Jesse James by the, uh, by the coward Robert Ford, it is one of the greatest great. films that yeah. I was like, how did I miss this? It is. Really? I can't believe that nobody knows about this movie. Like, I would love that film. Yeah. yeah. And the cinematography is, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Roger Deakins. And Deakins, it is yeah. just blew my mind. Like, yeah. I... Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, but anyway, right. blonde. He's didn't. He's doing blonde, which is, uh, what's her name? Is the the Anna Darmus? She's playing uh, Marilyn Monroe, and apparently, yeah, I wish I had name recall like you, young guys. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, I am thirty-eight. Uh, How old are you, yes. Chris? <laughs> yes, around in forty. The, uh, I, was just, I was born. Stuff. I was born the year rock and roll uh, changed everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was. I was eight years old when Apocalypse Now came out, so I was yep, too busy same. watching Alien. <laughs> yeah the other great 1979 picture but yeah the uh but yeah like uh uh that's it's one of my questions is like the with uh movies like a that guy makes right for instance blonde has a lot of controversy around it now because it's a netflix movie and it's rated nc-17 and there is a very strong wave of anger and flipping out on twitter on film twitter about uh, whether this is appropriate or whether we should talk about Marilyn in these ways or whether I'm just like, I, I just get frustrated and just like, isn't anybody curious anymore artistically in film? Like, do we all, do we just want the Marvel movies? Is that all we want to keep on experiencing? I, I, mean, I get very frustrated. Well, I, I don't know if, if it's what we want, but it's definitely what they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it, all you have to do is look at the box office numbers. Yeah, it's still huge. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, would you say, I mean, like, there's a... But, there's a but the box office numbers are, well, there's a chink in the arm. Like, it's starting to happen. They just dumped all of Batgirl. Yeah. They and dumped they, it. Yeah, they're pulling and the plug. They're about to push, pull the flash. Yeah. What yeah. did you think of that, Scott? Like, that's so much money. They just wrote off. That's crazy. DNA. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Well, you know, they save a lot of money by not releasing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So if, if it's a really dog film, first of all, the question is, how did it become such a dog film? And isn't there anybody overseeing it that's saying, oh, my God, this is going to be a problem. Right. 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 But that's a management issue. But, you know, if, if you invest one hundred and fifty million dollars in the production of a film, you're going to invest another hundred and fifty million dollars in prints and advertising. Yeah. And so, you know, it's that same old thing. Stop throwing God good money after bad money yeah right yeah for sure so it must be horrible yeah yeah well yeah though it's, it, what's an interesting point is like there have been plenty of bad uh superhero movies that have come out 
right? But they and up until now they've still had their audience and their defenders. So part of the sort of part of what they must have been analyzing is like we can't expect this to make money even though it's bad. Like yeah, it, right. like, and they, so like the, they've turned some sort of an internal corner where they're just like, okay, we probably like five years ago, we probably would have been able to put this thing out and it still would have covered its cost, but now it's going to look so bad that it's going to hurt our ability to sell superhero you know, content. But they also probably thought it's going to kill the brand in some ways. Right. You know, well, and there's another question, you know, it's like star Wars did not do well in China because right. you know, the, the, the brand is not really famous in China. So is Batman and Batgirl famous in China, like right. Marvel movies? And so you always have to look at it from a Chinese and a, a perspective because now they're like, what, 52% of the global box sure. office. Right, right, right. Wow. Like 52%. Yeah. <laughs> But it, like, yeah. but and the, and their tastes are and like their tastes are very Chinese. No surprise. Like they're like they they are they make their own movies. Oh, like they, they have their own. You know, they make they make their own blockbusters. It's not they like, make Chinese Rambo's. That's they the make Chinese Rambo's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's Chinese Rambo's. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Sounds like an indie band. Yeah, like well, they because they they they're going through the same phase that we did. Like like essentially, you're saying with Rambo is like in the eighties. Like that like the you make movies that are these very sort of pro-America movies in the 1980s and it's very invigorating. It feels makes you feel really good about your country and all this kind of stuff. Right. Didn't you Miles know? write Red Dawn? Uh, he directed yeah. Red Dawn. Also. No, he, yes. directed he, directed. he wrote Conan the Barbarian. And so he's he really around. a crazy Republican. He's yeah. he would not yeah, like he, he was a That's unbelievable. I like I the thing is I don't want to like I you know I'm as far left of crazy crackpot liberal as there is however no, I, you, have you met scott yeah, we, I, mean, I think we have a lot stuck no. like i i am i'm off the deep end but uh but i still have interest in people like milius because milius oh, yeah. is like, a genius he's an absolute genius yeah, he's a genius you know and like i can't i it's hard to spot like how much of this was sort of a put on so he would get a bigger reaction out of people. You could you be know, that. Oh, well, remember, know. it's based on a book. True. So it's, right. it's it's not like an original screenplay by John Millius. It's an adaptation of, you know, an already existing book that he has to somewhat follow the, the tact of the right. book, right? Right, right, for Speaking sure. In the books, did you know that the commentary, the, the voiceover is Michael Herr? Do you know, yes. Every, you ever read the book Dispatches? I loved that book as a kid. Or at least in the in the in the eighties, and it's about a war photographer, and he was the writer. He's the guy that narrated it. Huh. Because they notice? didn't. Uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, not Charlie Sheen, uh, Martin Sheen couldn't um, couldn't do it. I think it was after his heart attack or something. They did they did the narration afterwards, and they found someone who had the voice that was very very similar. No kidding. Yeah, wow. that's Michael Herr. And if yeah. you wow. read the book Dispatches, but The Clash even sang about the Dispatches. That was like a big book in the early 80s. Hmm. Um, Charlie Don't Surf off the of Sandinista. And uh, it's, I was like, I didn't realize that. I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. That's like, I thought there wasn't any more new Speaking facts. Speaking of, I, 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 just a little sidetrack here, ADD. I watched a doc <laughs> while I worked out. Because I work out, I watch YouTube. Just like go rabbit holes. And I watched a doc about this operation that Rumsfeld started in 1966 in Vietnam, where they would drop these little canisters on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and they had sensors, and they would feed back to yes, computers. I, yes, and I saw that. It would tell if there was a scent of urine or particles of urine or sweat, so they can see the movement of in the people. In 1966, they were able to. How are they doing that? 
because they put TRW together with the U.S. military and spent $12 million a week and yes. did that program from 66 to 71. I'll send you the link. Wow, it's, I it's, see that. Yeah, I saw so that. I saw that drop, thing. Scott, every week they would drop these things that look like, um, like little mortars that go off, but they had little parachutes and they would – but they would fall at a rate where they would stick in the ground, but their parts would have sensors on it. And then they built this huge TRW facility in South Vietnam where they flew everything over and it was heavily fortified and would pick the sensors up and it, it could figure out people and movement because the particles in the air were picking up stuff. And it was on the it's Ho Chi Minh Trail, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's but then they started wild. realizing that. So they would hire kids to go and just urinate all on the trail in different parts. <laughs> so then they had to adapt. But every That's week beautiful. they would fly these planes and drop these canisters. It was 12 to 18 million a week from 66 to about 72. In 1960 dollars. That's right. right. So think about the money Rumsfeld spent. Right. Right. Just to, to, to smell urine. <laughs> was, yeah, I think he continued that theme for the rest of his career. I think it's safe to say that. I mean, that's a lot of money that could have helped the com our country, right? Twelve oh, to eighteen yeah. million a week. It's the story. Every three weeks, you can make another yeah. apocalypse. Now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> story of America. So eighteen, let's say twelve million a week in today's dollars for nineteen sixty-seven. That's got to be. Tell like, you what that is in a second. That's like what sixty-two million dollars a year, a week. Yeah, like Rumsfeld, like the one great thing that Rumsfeld contributed to art for me is when he said, there are known unknowns, uh, there are unknown unknowns. And then and he goes in this weird little poem about like, there's just stuff you can't know. There's stuff that you don't know you can't know. And I'm just like, once you hear him say it, you're like, this is his whole philosophy. It's like, I can hide behind anything at any given time. And that's why he gets away with everything throughout his entire career. It's just like, yeah, no, I just figured it out. It's fine. It so seven million dollars in nineteen sixty-seven is worth sixty-two million dollars today. <laughs> so it's like eighty million dollars a week. Eighty million dollars a week. Because it was twelve million dollars a week. Yeah, I could get you that one. That's right. It's crazy. That is that's Vietnam in a nutshell, right there. <laughs> the dumbest. And it was eighteen million. At the height of the war, that's why. Oh, oh, I remember. Operation six and a half million dollars. This oh was I remember. Eric Operation Igloo White, and we always have to name our shows operations. This is Jade Scorpion. <laughs> this is Operation Igloo White. And wasn't Here's, it wasn't it, it the first the example of of using machine learning? Like they actually yes. did some kind of an AI back really? then to make this work yeah yeah it was it one of the was, first examples of that they didn't have a name for it like they do now but it's basically the same thing yeah that's insane, i'm putting dude. it in chat for this um ninja beautiful beautiful oh my god it's the cre and you can see the stuff i mean it's a lot of money doing this i think yeah. that coppola should do a new cut that includes uh the, the, testing the, on the ho chi minh trail i think that, that that's the, <laughs> that's that's the not to mention the, the number of, of tigers that walk by on Pete on it. Pete on it as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you have a shot of a, tire, a tiger, it pees on the ground, and then you cut to the CIA saying, sir, there's a troop surge on the line. <laughs> and they look testosterone poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah. But I, I think I, basically I what you said earlier about the joke, about the, but the cookie and the half-eaten cookie, it's yeah. just that everybody there was – with no cookie, they just their lives were destroyed, yeah. and it's really horrible when you see this. And but they're communists. Just, they're yeah, communists. Stop the communists. <laughs> oh, 
you got to stop the, the communists. <laughs> I remember sitting in a conference room at Lucasfilm, and and the the war um, between Iraq and uh, God, what's the that's the, they invaded the country, Kuwait. Kuwait, yeah. So I had started, and I started freaking out. I said, "This is just like Vietnam. This is just like Vietnam." And the people that I were in the were sitting in the conference room with me was an Egyptian television station. You know, uh -huh. they were trying to do something, and so they said, "No, you don't understand, sir. It's, this is not like Vietnam." I said, "Come on, we're go this is crazy." He said, "No, the difference is." In 15 years after the Vietnamese War, the Vietnamese will welcome Americans with open arms and love you and feed you hamburgers. The, 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 the Kuwaitis and the Iraqis will hate you for generation after generation after generation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There you go. But I've yep, not just, been to Vietnam, um, but I have friends that have now, you know, and, and, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful country. On, uh, yeah. like, man, there's there's a, a couple of episodes of the Koreans don't like us too much. The North Koreans don't North like Koreans, us too much. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, th I think that like the, 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 the sort of the evil genius of uh, Rumsfeld and his crew when it came to Iraq was they, they wanted to avoid the mistake of Vietnam. So that by not having a draft. Uh, and so they're like, if we just take people that are in the national guard and use that for half the force, and then we take uh, people like from Blackwater to do all the, all, all the right. real super, the really elite. Really? Shit. Mercenaries right. and mercenaries. Then we're then then we're giving all the money to the mercenaries to do the terrible shit, and then all the people in the National Guard are like, you know, like they're the ones we get to treat badly and put in terrible situations and treat like cannon fodder, and nobody in America cares because they already. Is that yeah, okay? Oh yeah, hit it. But like that's like that's the kind of thing where if you're to try to make a movie out of that now, I, like there's a level of complexity to that kind of. Uh, how can I say it? Not it's evil, corporate, though. But it it's such a corporate kind of mechanism that I, you'd, it would, you'd have to make something like The Insider in order to make a movie out of that. Like, you can't make Apocalypse Now because that's not what, that's not the American experience of that war anymore. Like, the people are so, people are so distant, distanced from the wars we get involved in. But can you tell me any movie that is made that supports the Vietnamese War? Oh yeah, like, no, it's like yeah. Like every single movie about Vietnam is about how horrible Vietnam was. Well, and and specifically <laughs> and horrible like, because they were duped or horrible. I mean, I yes. understand why it was horrible, right? But like every every like if we were duped so much as a country to go to the, such a stupid war as Vietnam, why wasn't everybody on the street during Kuwait or, or Iraq saying it's not again? But because because the, they don't like when you're when you're dealing with um, Vietnam, like you're scared your kid will be swept up in this, right? You're not scared about that generally speaking. If it's uh, if, uh, if you don't have a stake in Iraq, you don't have a stake. Well, remember remember that 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 Iraq War was Bush Senior, right? Yeah. Right. So so and that's coming off of Reagan, right? <laughs> right? right. So you still no 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 no. no. Bush Senior was the head of the CIA. I understand that, yes. but the the, the says I'm talking. I, I, was yes. an idiot. I understand the whole thing, but I'm saying that the people in general they were huge. Like Reagan was great. America was still all pro Reagan at that time, right? right? And so it was really hard to sort of flip that. Well, that's you know? a, like the easy, the reason why people were pro Reagan is because it does two things. Either you are benefiting directly from him being a ripoff artist. 
right? And you're, you're getting rich or you are, or they're selling you a bill of goods by saying, well, you could be one of the rich ones. And right. so give us, you know, like do all the work for us. And that's why, like, that's why that attitude keeps on selling, you know, uh, and the, with the mechanism, the new mechanism of war and how we wage it is to distance people enough so they get the benefits of what we are going to war over, i.e. oil, right? Uh, and then it's just a background TV element with no one we're really connected to. And yeah. whereas, like, when you say, when you said, like, is there any pro-Vietnam War films? I'm like, like, there's only one. It's John Wayne's uh, right. Green, Green Berets. Um, and and what I really want to say, and, and like, because it's like, with all, they're all played as tragedies about Vietnam. I'm like, well, they're all played as tragedies about America's experience in Vietnam. Well, yeah, the people, right. people, there are, people no, there are very the different. There are no Vietnamese tragedy stories. Exactly. It's not a yeah. Vietnamese tragedy where we went in and killed millions of people. Right. <laughs> like, it's sad that America had this problem called Vietnam. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, the people in, uh, are saying the difference between Iraq and Vietnam is that for Vietnam, there was a draft and for Iraq, there wasn't. Well, that's right? what I'm saying. That's, an important, that's yes. an important piece. Not right. only that, that they, the government outlawed, outlawed the filming of body bags coming back from yes. Iraq. Yes. You know, I remember from being Vietnam or watching the, you know, Walter Cronkite and, you know, 415 Americans were killed today. Right. Meanwhile, they're bringing caskets on C-137s and oh. 13,000 North Vietnamese regulars. I mean, every single night we saw it. Right. 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 We, we, we didn't see any of the death in Iraq. Yeah. They, we kept it all very quiet. They banned that. They banned it. And, no, and same they, same and they, thing that's happening with Russia and Ukraine right, right now. Of <laughs> and like, and they keep, and they would only let uh, journalists travel embedded. Right. So they're only saying, like, the journalists get to see this sort of the theatrical version of the experience as opposed to the real version of the experience. No one's really doing the journalism they need to be doing to report on any of it. You know, it's like I see, I watch all the President's Men maybe once a week, and uh, <laughs> that's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And I'm just like, I don't think that. This uh, kind how it of, could happen again. <laughs> I'm just like this. Like, where is this today? <laughs> like, where, where is where is where is this kind of dedication to it actually never revealing yeah. the truth? It blows well, my Americans, mind. Americans are too fat, and they're too polarized, and they have too many credit cards, and there's too much advertising, and right. people are worried about their sports teams. They, yes. you know, it's so removed. Right. You know, I mean, Ukraine has Ukraine has become like a fourth tier story, fifth tier story. Now, yeah. we're not even really hearing about the atrocities that's happening in Ukraine. Right. You know, right. Now we're hearing about Anne Hayes crashing her car into a house. Oh, yeah, exactly. right. She died, by the way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we, which is which is sad. Right. But it's like, really sad. yeah, the the you know, with with Ukraine, we, we were we were worried as long as it was like, wait a minute, are we going to get into a nuclear war? Because then I'm going to really click on this. No, <laughs> like, no, we're get, we're we're getting upset about the fact that blonde is going to be NC seventeen. Like yeah, that exactly. is, yeah, like, come on, guys, ridiculous. You know, but the, like, yeah, well, go ahead. Do sorry. we have any other questions from the Twitch land? Yeah, if you guys have any specific, we there was a bunch that like, gone, gone by. But if there's any other questions on on chat, let let us know. But I do have a question for you. What do you what do you think about Victoria Alonso? Since you were one of the people that sort of brought her up into the world and that marvelness that's going on now. <laughs> You know, you I, don't, actually... I, I don't know enough, right? I just know what I read because I'm I'm really, you know, no longer associated with the visual effects world. You know, I've been, right. I mean, my com latest complaint is Jim Cameron has now started Digital Domain with Stan Winston and he's left me out of the mix. They're n I'm never mentioned by Cameron. And, oh. um, and what? Yeah, 
I mean, Cameron did this whole interview sequence on uh, the new Avatar movie, and it was everywhere. And he was asked about certain things. He said, well, yes, back in 1993, Stan Winston, my dear friend, and I started this company called Digital Domain. Never mentions me. Oh, right? That's right. crazy. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, the light and magic uh, documentary that Larry Kasdan has done has just yes. come out. And I'm not mentioned at all wow. in it, which is interesting because, you know, at the point in time when ILM transitioned from analog to digital, I mean, yeah, there were proponents like John Nolan, Dennis Muren, and Scott Squires, and Mark DePay, and, and, and Spaz. But it was me that sort of laughed in the face of Norby and the powers that be and said, fuck you, we're buying SGI machines. So, right. you know, I played an important role in that, but I've been written out of that history as well. So for my sanity, I've sort of stayed away from the visual effects world. You know, I, <laughs> right. I, I, I have well, no choice. reason to be in it. Um, and so I've been reading a bunch about what Marvel is doing. Yeah. But it's what Marvel, it sounds like what Marvel is doing is what every studio with any power and any, you know, large scale projects have done in time memorial in memorial you know you which is basically screw the visual effects company beat them into submission take their blood their inner organs and who cares because i'm going to make a movie and they're going to they're going to be excited because uh they're going to want to do it again you know it's the old george lucas line give them enough pizza and beer they'll do anything yeah right right, right. exactly exactly i mean like, have, you, like, have, have you have you seen have you seen the new spaz documentary that, i have i'm in it you're in it. Yeah. Oh, good. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I've been asked. Yeah. I've been trying. I actually would love to try to get. I've been messaging Spaz to try to get him back on the podcast and and be in it. Talk to Scott Lebrecht. He's the director and he okay. he owns the property and he's he's trying to work out distribution at this point. Okay, so I'll get in. Uh, I'll I'll get in touch with you if you can give me his yeah. information. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, I I you know I just I've had this thing about like there was, there was this rebel group right. The big moments, the big moments in filmmaking came from rebel groups. Came from people like Spaz, right? Like right. when Spaz right. went under the radar and made this dinosaur that suddenly showed up in front of Kathleen Kennedy. Right? Right. <laughs> They're right. like, hey, wait, what's that? And I was like, oh, and it changed filmmaking. It right. Changed yeah. filmmaking. Right, uh, and well, I think that those are important moments. Well, it's like the the, jur the journey for, of CG from being like from Jurassic Park, where it, like it really, like you're saying, it utterly changed filmmaking. You know, like just like what, like uh, how we even think about making movies. Um, to right now, you get m people complaining about CG, like it res it ruins everything. And I'm like, the CG isn't the problem. That's it's right. the shitty movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like that is what's going on. You actually I used to have my line was we don't write them, we don't direct them, we just do the visual effects. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Good lord. You know, like yes, you know, I've seen some terrible That's like saying I was just movies. following orders, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, I was just following orders. <laughs> so that's this is the thing, man. It's like like if people understood how much great work they see every single day from uh, from people that are, you know, like by and large getting screwed over these days, like 
absolutely photoreal goes right by you don't even notice and then you see one bad sequence because the studio has mismanaged a shoot so poorly and they've changed yeah. everything down to the last minute and it turns out to be a, a terribly comped gray mess and they're like see i told you cg was lousy you're just like so oh so there was some there was some uh, rumor actually an article that came out today about there's a, a speculation that marvel is going to try to buy a visual effects company and make their own visual effects oh, oh, didn't man. netflix do that Netflix did that. They did that. Scan, they, they bought Scanline. Right. Maybe so, they'll start paying people in Marvel bucks. So <laughs> Animal Logic. And they bought Animal Logic too. So here's my theory about Netflix. Netflix said, okay, we buy – they're trying to become Disney because Disney owns ILM and they own Pixar, right? Yeah. So they're feeling – I feel that they bought Scanline, which is ILM at a bargain price, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they bought Animal Logic, which is Pixar at a bargain price. Right. Yeah. So I have a feeling that that's what they're trying to do. Now, I don't know if Marvel buying their own visual effects company is interesting an idea. And someone, someone else I was saying was speculating, it's like they'll probably end up buying digital domain. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's a, a possibility, Scott? Well, first of all, you know, Marvel, Marvel is very different than Netflix, right? So Netflix yeah. is a distributor of content and Marvel is a developer and producer of content, right? Yep. Distributed through the Disney company. So right. the problem with Marvel, the analog of Marvel buying a visual effects company is like other people that have tried to buy visual effects companies in the past and, and they don't work out very well, right? right. And so ultimately Marvel will be will be saddled with all of this overhead and it, it'll just be a mess. And then Marvel will exit. But I can understand that Mar the thinking that Marvel thinks they should buy a visual effects company, right? right. Because they're getting and, a lot of bad press recently. There's a lot of press about how people yeah. hate working on Marvel films. Yeah. I read, I've been reading it. Yeah. So, so it's been, will it's they been buy digital domain? Well, po possibly, you know, digital domain has maybe run its course as a money launderer for the Chinese, because that's really what it is. Whoa. No, I know that for a fact. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fact. Who was, who was the guy that we met in London, Scott? You and I, the, the, the Dutch guy, remember? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And he was, he was the one. Anderman. Yeah, he's the one who was like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And he yeah. started realizing that it was money laundering. Yeah, it's money laundering. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, are you like, because I think when, uh, like, my, when I see people that don't know anything about visual effects talking about, you know, should we say buy a visual effects company? Like, I think they don't realize that the reason why the visual effects a company makes are good is because of the people in that company. Like, yeah. You have these incredibly talented artists who have worked together as a team and know how to work together and, and they bounce off each other perfectly. I mean, like everyone, unlike uh, when, when you were there, Scott, and I was working with folks like, I mean, you just, you can name any number of folks. Eric like, Sheely. Just like Chris Eric Sheely, obviously. But like these are, these are people that aren't just geniuses in their own right, but they had worked together for a long time as a team. Then that was the magic of it. Like they understood how to do this. And if you simply buy the, a visual effects company without keeping those teams, you're just buying computers expensively. So my situation was even worse. So I wound up founding a, a visual effects company. So mm -hmm. it was me. That was it. Right. So right. it was Jim's name. And there was Stan, who was at times sort of a, a, a weight. Right. <laughs> and 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 there was me and that was it. And so we we put together a visual effects company from scratch, 
There right. were no computers. There was no technology. There was there were no people. There was nothing. There was me and fifteen million dollars, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so the first couple of years were really, really difficult because mm -hmm. I had to pull in people from different areas. They hadn't worked as a team together. They had different nomenclature. It was really, really difficult. Right. Um, but you know, once we hit our stride, we hit our stride. Right. Well, I mean, well, so you look at that today and say like $15 million today, which to any, you know, anyone who works in VFX, like $15 million is still 15 million bucks, right? Like that's a lot of money. And, but the, um, what you can pull off with a small team that uh, with free materials of your own, right? Like with programs you can buy your own, uh, cameras, you can shoot movies on your, on your phone now. Yeah. Like it seems like in the next, like within five years, virtually everybody who wants to be a filmmaker can make movies that look at least like low end competitive and still have lots of VFX and just do it with, you know, your 10 friends. Right. And right. so when you, when you brought up earlier, you know, uh, when 60 millimeter, eight millimeter came around, it was a release for people because, you know, studios made movies with these giant refrigerator sized cameras. Right. But once you get 16 millimeter, people are set free to make easy rider, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody that I know in America has a phone that can shoot a movie in their sure. pocket. Right. Right. Didn't Coppola talk about that in hearts of darkness? Yes. Cause you like the famous thing is so like every, you know, like you're going to get from Ohio. Yeah. So you're going to get some girl from Ohio, like you can just go and make a movie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so where are those folks? We all have so that's that's the same line that 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 um, and I again because my memory is going at my age, is that the guy who uh, headed up um, Adobe when Postscript came out, right? Right. So when I grew up, there were like John Warnock, I think his name was. Okay. So when I grew up, there were like five or six magazines, and then all of a sudden, when Postscript came out and laser printers and the ability right. to, there were you know lesbian bikers from Ohio that only wore red leather shoes. You know, it was, it was incredible, right. but you know, yes, there were, there were some that, that rose to the top, mm -hmm. but most of it was crap because it's not about the technology. As you well know, it's about creativity. Right. And so really creative people don't come around very often. Yeah. Where do, where do you expect to see creative people now? Do you expect to see them in film or in streaming or what, what's like, what's the source that we look towards. Well, to I, I think I personally, I think film is dead. Uh -huh. I think uh, I think major motion pictures are basically gone by the wayside, mm -hmm. and I think streaming is where it's all at, mm -hmm. where people can take risks. I mean, you know, David Fincher hasn't made a film film in a while, but he's doing a lot of stuff in streaming, right? right. Yeah, so right. you know, it's I think the really creative folks are like, I don't want to have to answer to the suits at Paramount ever uh, again. Yeah, right. And so I think streaming is the way to go, and I think that will morph too because you know you've seen what's happened at Netflix, where Netflix was you know. They had a whole bunch of money and they threw it at the wall and some of it stuck, but most of it didn't. Mm -hmm. So I right. think we'll have to get creative executives at streamers that did not come from the motion picture industry because, right. the, you right. know, the transfer of that motion picture zeitgeist is poison particularly yes, right. in the right. streamer world. Right. Yeah, I always feel I've been trying to pitch something in the past couple of years. It's like kill the gatekeepers because nobody gets anything. They just there was a kind of a glossy like deer in the headlights and there's no sense of 
I don't know. Got a couple questions uh, uh, on chat before they go away. I want to make sure we get them. So Jason is asking, Scott, what, if anything, was the most uh, paradigm shifting for you about running a VFX company? The most paradigm shifting. Well, you know, the good stuff is winning an Academy Award. You know, like when I was in Industrial Light and Magic, every year I was there, we won the Oscar. Every single year. And so... um, there's nothing like vengeance. Vengeance <laughs> is an amazing and powerful tool. So yeah. when I started Digital Domain, one of my main driving forces of the fire in my belly was, fuck ILM, right? right. I'm going to show right. them. Right. And so, uh, and by the way, a bunch of my friends at ILM said to me, you'll never make it happen. It's never going to happen. So right. winning the Academy Award, the first Academy Award was like, neener 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 (laughs) (laughs) and in addition i I don't think ilm had won an academy award for years after i left so not only did my ego went aha when i was there we won academy awards and when i wasn't there we didn't i'm sure i had nothing to do with that but in my delusional mind (laughs) i did and then you know when digital domain won its first academy award that was the moment of is it apollo 13 was the first one uh, we lost Apollo 13. We were nominated. I, I to this day, I still hate pigs. <laughs> oh, babe. Yeah. It was babe. Yeah. God bless babe. But yeah. to this day, still, you know, it's not my Jewish kosherness. It's my Apollo 13 ego. Right? Um, but it was Titanic, right? Titanic, yeah. But, but just to, on a note, Chris got me into DD because if I straight interviewed there, they wouldn't have hired me. Uh, but Chris, on his recommendation, and I can't tell you how proud I was and how much I loved working at DD. I right. just and was yeah, like yeah, artists, and it was like, this is the greatest thing. I could talk to people about art and do things, and and it was just great work, and Chris got me in. so The nice greatest, greatest I- compliment I ever got was a DD employee said to me, what you were able to do with DD Scott was you took a visual effects company and made it a rock and roll band. Amen. Yes, you did. Amen. Dead. Amen. Yeah, that's yep. exactly true. That's exactly my experience. Loved it. Well, so cause amazing. like that's the, for, for me, that's I, cause I initially started in commercials and right. uh, DD and like the way the commercials worked was so like run and gun and solve the problem immediately and all this kind of stuff. And then we went from that. I went from that on to Zodiac and Fincher had basically the same sort of, style just like i just want the shot done like we just have to figure out the shot and the people that went that sort of came up in that with that mindset are all the ones that continue to do great work Mm -hmm. today yeah you know and the and and i meet because i meet a lot of people with a lot of experience that have the more i don't want to pick on one particular company but like the more corporate style of visual effects and they don't have creative answers for how to do things you know, and whereas like you, you know, like you, you meet people that it's no, it's never a surprise on like an XDD guy, you know, wins an Academy Award. Yeah, it's because we knew how to do it back then. <laughs> well, Scott, was it this year, the Academy Award lineup this year, these are all your guys. All it's DD everybody. Guys. All, all your guys. guys. Yeah. Brian Grill, right? Brian, yeah, Brian Grill. Grill. Goes, Kelly Ford, Matthew Kelly Ford, Ford, you know. That's yeah. right. It's all yeah. Yeah. under I mean, your wing. Yeah. Those yeah. are the guys who know how to do this stuff. And, so, uh, so here's the letter that I wrote to Jim, right? I had okay. just seen the Avatar, the Avatar 2 promo that he was doing. Right. And I said, Dear Jim, congrats on your new Avatar film. I, like so many others, 
are as excited to, as hell to see it. However, I was disappointed by your statement on your YouTube interview. Truth is, ki is critical. And given the current political situation America finds itself in, I thought you would recognize that truth is important. I'm not sure why you continue to state that Digital Domain was founded by only you and Stan and completely leaving me out of the picture. It's hurtful and upsetting. Digital Domain was the highlight of my life's work. And if your intention is to rewrite history and intentionally try to hurt me, you're very successful once again. Congrats on your success. And I hope your new Avatar film is a giant hit. Oh, no man. response. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't. You were DD. Yeah. Yeah. You were. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, like, that's like, he wasn't walking around. He wasn't no, walking he, around he, cheering he, us on. He sure wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't at Martini Night. We mentioned earlier, like, I would just knock on your door and go in your office, and everybody would be like, Why are you walking in his office? But that was the type of leader you were, and it was amazing. Because I could okay. say, I talk about guitars and talk about cream and talk about Clapton, how I met Clapton in a dry cleaner on, on Third Street. And I was like, I, can't, <laughs> I ran into Clapton. And it was just like, I've worked at so many other companies since then, and it's never been that at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, the thing is, uh, generally the suits, and, and I'm not. Yeah. The yeah, thing I think that was also amazing to me is, you know, after running into you after all these years when I ran into you over in, in, in Portugal at THU and, and you and I had some great, great conversations yeah, and did. I was not afraid to ask you some really tough questions and right. you took it so well and you guys, well, Chris, let me explain to you what it was like <laughs> to be a leader at that time. Right. It was shitty and it was hard and I had to make tough decisions right. and here, and I didn't know all the things that were going on behind the scenes and stuff. And so I was just, I was like, Oh my God. And I learned through what you said, I learned how hard it is to be a leader and how much I need to sort of take that perspective when I think about tough decisions that were being made. And uh, I was really impressed. So I've always, I've always loved chatting with you, and it's always been Thanks. amazing. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, we do have right. another question from from from. I just want to make sure that our our guys are because uh, yeah, we can just go on and on. But there's yeah. uh, Anthony's asking, uh, uh, what do you think about all this new stuff with AI and machine learning and uh, all this AI art that's coming out, and how that's going to affect the visual effects industry? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, the intention, I think, for for any of the producers or studios is to, and understandably so, I guess, is to get the best quality work for the lowest possible cost. Right? <laughs> right. And that doesn't mean the best quality work. That right. just means the best quality work for the lowest possible cost. Right. Right. And right. so uh, machine learning is going to do a lot of that stuff. you know. And now I think what will happen is I think it will impact places like India and China and Thailand and Brazil and, huh. and, the, and the, the areas that are doing already the, the rotoscoping, match moving, et cetera, yes. work. And I think that's going to all be done in machine learning. So, and I still think that the great artists are going to rise to the top and they're, they're going to be in demand and, and they're going to get paid even more money than they're getting paid now because, as we've said, it's all about, you know, the great art. I yeah. think a lot of animation will be machine learned um, huh. and, and, uh, and the like. And um, the big issue for me, and you might have seen, I did a, uh, I did a, a TEDx uh, uh, talk on, on this metaverse crap. And, um, you know, that's a thing that really scares me. The good news is I'm 71 and I might not be around when it happens, but it's a really scary thought. We've seen what's happened with the Internet and what's happened with suicide rates and, yeah. and 
self-image and inability to be able to have conversations with people and the polarization of, of societies. I think it's going to get much worse if the metaverse turns out to be what people are talking about. And so I believe AI will have a big impact on that. And if you know, and if you like Mark Zuckerberg and his new company Meta and you trust him and you think he's a good guy, well then you're crazy. <laughs> I went uh, I went fly fishing in front of his house in Kauai, I'll tell you that. Wow. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit weird, a little bit strange. And that the people in Kauai, they hate all the, of all the celebrities, they hate him. They hate him, hate him. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. good lord. Yeah. yeah. So, like with, with the metaverse, like I feel like there's because I mean, we're I'll be right back, guys. Oh, yeah, hit it. Like, uh, because what we've been talking about essentially since like since we started on Apocalypse Now is like people develop more and more you know, like hardcore political bubbles, uh, that they live in. And so, what you're saying essentially is like when you once you can live in your own personalized world, you can no longer communicate with people, correct? Right. And so, like, the uh, like thinking about that in terms of like whatever machine learning, when you talk about like machine learning and the art that it generates, like that is put together out of a zillion samples of other people's art. Sure. Right. And if you don't have people communicating between each other, artists communicating between each other, then I don't know what happens to art itself. Because I don't think that art just comes from a single person, I think it comes through working with other artists and bouncing off of experiences and other people. Particularly in moving images. Yeah. 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 It's all inspiration, right? Yeah. Exactly. A lot of it. I do. I do. Want to... Now without the group that they, without the, like if it's just John Milius, you don't get apocalypse now. Right. That's right. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I'm one that's, by the way, I want to say, I'm going to be celebrating uh, with one of my favorite beers. This is an Allagash Kuryu. I don't know if you guys have ever heard oh, of it. Oh, look at that. Nope. No. This is delicious. delicious. It's, yes. It is a. It is actually a Belgian style beer, but it's made in Maine, and uh, it's a triple, and uh, it's aged in bourbon barrels, and wow. it's absolutely delicious. However, it is um, slightly. You have to be cautious because it is ten point two percent alcohol for nice. beer. It contains arsenic. <laughs> so you have to be this very the part careful. Of the podcast with the arsenic. It will kill you. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. But I'm very excited about this this hundredth episode, Scott. And I, we're not we're we're not near done. But I just want to say I hope so good. because I actually have another session at one o'clock. Okay, that's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. You said two hours, so I, I've got to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, can, can yeah. we quickly ask then? Like, uh, uh, you've gotten the rights back for your uh, first screenplay for a thousand grants, right? Uh, what are you into now that you want to talk about? And uh, like, what do you see things going? Well, oh gosh. Uh, a Thousand Cranes is, you know, I got it back. It's my lifelong passion project. And um, I got a director, which I'm really excited about, which That's is, fun. he's Martin, his name is Martin Campbell. Um, he oh, directed, yeah, Campbell, you sure. know, Zorro and, yeah, and Casino Royale. And so, you know, I've got this wonderful, you know, erudite, I think great British director that's on board. And now we're putting together talent to try to lock into talent with it. You know, the budget's going to be, if it's a streamer, It'll probably be a hundred million dollars and seven parts. If it's a film, it'll probably be two hundred million dollars. Right, um, right. You know, there's a lot of atomic bombs and stuff going. It's a period piece, 1945. Right. Um, right. And uh, so I'm still working on that. I have another project called Ping Pong, which is a difficult situation now considering the Chinese-American relations. It's sort of the 
true story of what happened with ping pong diplomacy in 1971. Oh, yeah. Having nothing really to do with Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, but having to do with a bunch of bad news bears, kids that are Americans that play ping pong. That's a good one. True story. That's cool. Um, I like that. And then the the third one, and not being a religious person at all, but I have a project called Yeshua, and it's the missing years of Christ's life where he travels to India. And he studies, you know, Hinduism and then winds up in China with Buddhism, comes back through Persia, learns Zoroastrianism, and then comes back and, you know, he is now Jesus the Christ. Right. That's... Of course, I can't get anybody to finance that, particularly, you know, in the studio realm. So we're, we're still so those are the three film projects that I'm working on yeah. and um, trying to learn how to play you know altered diminished scales and play over dominant seventh chords and learn my two five ones nice and then i you know as something that i thought i would never do because i was this counterculture lefty person i've actually taken up the game of golf i play golf every tuesday uh, thursday with this guy arnie schmidt no. and arnie was our client at digital domain he did chain reaction he, oh, know, yeah, he, sure. a, he was a producer and, and then the other guy that plays with us is a guy named don shaw and he was an all-american volleyball and basketball player and so he actually is good and arnie and i suck it's <laughs> amazing it's funny i grew up yeah i grew up in greenwich connecticut and i um, despise golf i don't play I'm sure golf you do yeah no i don't i don't i don't I'm play sure. golf oh, no i'm sure you despise it yeah i just and i grew up right by the entrance of a golf uh country club i just I, I, it bores me like i have to tell boredom. you I, I i knew nothing about I, I worked on a golf video game I, when i first started in the business i worked in video games i worked on a thing called british open golf uh-huh. it was uh <laughs> like we had jim mckay and the nats right all this kind of stuff like and uh and i am i don't know if you can tell from my uh general build i'm not a sports guy and so <laughs> no they, really? <laughs> like, they're uh, like okay so you're gonna be art directing on this thing and uh you we need to give we're gonna send you to scotland and you're going to go and so i went to like troon and st andrews and oh, all wow. I'm, like, I'm, Ooh, I, meet the, uh, I, I spend all day with the groundskeeper at uh, st andrews and i'm taking photos and interview all this kind of stuff and i and like i don't know who any of these guys are i don't know any of this at all and like i told my fr- friend who is un- it's super into golf and i was like oh yes i was talking to blah 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 blah, and the hate in his eyes <laughs> was like lasers <laughs> like, i go how can you just it's wasted on you and i was like yeah the only thing, the only thing i could it, tell right? him was like i was walking around with the greenskeeper and i was like oh, so i understand jack nicholas also makes his own uh, designs his own courses and the greenskeeper the greenskeeper goes oh yeah nicholas he's a bad bad pig of a man <laughs> 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 I love his thoughts. <laughs> yeah. so All right, I, Scott. Uh, I want to just let him know. We're, I think we're going to keep going even after you, you've left, which is fine. You can totally do that. I'm, I'm happy to to, uh, to, thank you to stay as long as you can. But I do want to ask you one fun. last question. One last question before you go, because that's been burning in the back of my mind. There is there is a moment. I feel that there is a moment right now that's happening in uh, filmmaking or even streaming or. or picture narratives, let's just say, where there's animation is going to really start to change a lot. And there's a lot of stuff that like Tim Miller's doing with Love, Death and Robots and and other types of things that I think is going to be very interesting and experimental. What are your thoughts on animation and if that's going to be something big or not? 
So for years and years and years and years and years, I was, you know, animation is for kids. Right. Animation is just for children. Why? What are you doing here with Fritz the Cat? Forget about <laughs> it. Animation is for kids. Ralph Bakshi, come on, man. Right. It's no longer. And here's the reason why. Because your generation are just a bunch of children. <laughs> and, and, and I asked my 37-year-old son, what is it about Comic-Con? I, I find it's almost like perverse. Who These people dress up in these outfits and they go and they're like 40-year-old people. What the yeah, Just so you know, about? I've never seen a Marvel movie in my life. I'm the outlier of this group. And I agree with you because Comic-Con is a complete waste of time. I mean, I just don't understand it. And but he had a great explanation. He said, when we grew up in the 80s, everything for us was wonderful. Life was great. Things were cool. We were having a good time. It was our youth. And now we live in the most horrible times that America has ever seen. The threat of nuclear war, the threat of famine, the outrageous climate change that's happening. We're scared to death. And so it is our nostalgia and let us live in it. Yeah. And so as a result, I think animation will have a giant future. Um, <laughs> but what about like Alberto Miego? Remember him from THR? Alberto stuff well. is incredible. He got it's all incredible. the good-looking women. I hate yeah, it. He did get all did the Did he really? Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, that, I did, like, that, my that, wife was with me, in, 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 and she was like, who is that Spanish guy? It's like, I, I don't get it. You know? He's an animator. <laughs> my God. That's right. They <laughs> love for the new love, death, and robots is beautiful. Yeah. It is amazing. It's, it's stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. But even Fincher's experimenting. I guess Fincher's Gen X too, right? So, yeah. but, but Fincher's also, Dave's like, I've known Dave for a hundred years, you know, a right. hundred years. He was an assistant Matt cameraman at ILM. Sure. <laughs> and Dave is, Dave is, in my opinion, he's incredibly brilliant. Mm -hmm. But he yeah. has the de the desperate desire to hold on to youth. Uh, he'll do anything. He'll do anything to fifty-year-old well, teenager within reason to do anything that's hip and cool. He so desperately wants to be hip and cool. Mm. I, you know, I gave him a thousand credits to read, and he said, "You know, gosh, I love it. I would never do anything like that." And you know, because it didn't hit his film noir funny bone. Right. 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 Yeah, I hear that. That's right. Um, well, man, I want to say thanks Thank from you. all of us on this. This has been a, awesome. a tremendous morning. I love talking about this movie, uh, but it's great to see you again. Yeah, good and to see you guys, and thanks for all the kind words. Oh, thanks, you, you know, when you're when you're in the third stage, uh, th third act of your life, it's really good to hear that you've changed people's lives. Yep, legendary, dude. Absolutely. Legendary. For sure. So for sure. Scott, you're a legend and you've always been a great friend. And I thank you so much for doing you're this welcome. and for helping thank us celebrate you. this. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks Bye. a lot, sir. Bye-bye. Right on, right on. Take Bye. care, man. Thanks, Scott. That was awesome. Man, yeah. oh, man. What a guy. Wasn't that great? That was terrific. That was terrific. We're going to keep on going. So I uh, say thanks to everyone in chat, but we are still going. Yeah, we no, are so still we're going. We're still going. We still have things. We still have to talk about apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, we still got some apocalypse now. Talk, yeah, man. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I'm glad. I know Eric. I know you've always been a fan of Scott, especially because you guys have a uh, kindred spirit on the on the on music. Yeah, I did. In the New York rock and roll scene, like 
Yeah. He just knew everybody, man. And he just, we both love the same guitar. He played cowbell with Jimi Hendrix. That's insanity. <laughs> it's crazy. That's, it's, what a story. it's on the album. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> if you're that's a cowbell incredible. on the album, it's Scott Ross. <laughs> it, it, it needs no more cowbell than that. We have exactly the right cowbell. It's Scott, it's Scott Ross. <laughs> man, man. What a now, crazy, that was a pleasure. Beautiful life. I hadn't seen Scott in quite some time. And, uh, that was man. a oh, lot I feel, of fun. I feel bad. I mean, like, like you know, he read that letter to 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 to, to Cameron. Yeah. How, why would you do that? He's written many emails to Cameron. He's actually read to me several emails to Cameron. And I the, like, the thing is, like, just, you, have I, you, just, you just have to stop. You have to give it up. <laughs> you know, no, yeah, the thing yeah. is, if you were Cameron, you have money, you've achieved as an artist. Why would you, what's the point of short, like just rewriting? I don't history, think like, he wants it. I, don't, I think that, you know, when Titanic happened, the two, the, it was a bad deal between the two of them. And I yeah. think Cameron just wants to pretend that Scott Ross doesn't exist anymore. Well, I can't do that. Yeah. And in terms of like what he's trying to do now, like, I think that he is like, because, uh, um, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, the third, gentlemen the, the makeup effects guy scott uh who stan winston. Stan, stan winston like winston is uh is is a famous name and a force for his company and i think that cameron looks at the looks at this stuff as like here's someone whose name i can use as a logo on what i'm doing in terms of like you know selling what i'm currently doing like right. Cam- Cameron is a, I, I don't know the guy at all. I don't have anything bad to say about him, but like, he is like, he's always on the make in terms of like trying to promote the thing he's doing right now. And sure. so I, I don't think that he does anything publicly that, uh, it, that isn't about that, you know? And I think that, uh, and, and so like Scott, you know, Scott is one of the legends of the industry is one of the most important people that has ever been in terms of, uh, uh, the way that, Visual effects. He is, he is the like Lamborghini the whole... of visual effects, and let yeah. me tell you. Let me explain why. Did you know that Lamborghini, as a company, was formed out of spite for Ferrari? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. right? Exactly. And so he 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 did a lot of stuff at ILM that sort of made the brought ILM to the digital age, right? And so that's the thing that you know sort of made the CG work there. And right. when he left, he was like, "No, screw you guys. I'm going to do DD. It's going to be the way I've always wanted to do it." And Honestly, I felt the same way. Like, you know, I've, I've complained about places I've worked and, and I've kept doing things. And my wife kept reminding me, he's like, it's not your company. When it's your company, then you can do what you but, want to But do. Scott, it's like Scott has, a, has an innate, unqu- unquenchable uh, vision for the, for the doing of it, you know, for the art of it. And like for pushing things forward and like, and making sure that this stuff is cutting edge and great and beats everything like, and the responsibility to that core fire that he's talking about. And uh, I think that that's difficult for someone like what I imagine James Cameron is like to work with, you know, because Cameron has his own, like he's got, he has an agenda. He has an agenda for James Cameron. Right? Well, Scott, Scott has an agenda for Scott, too. But I think what this interesting is, Scott, you know, what's interesting is to see Scott today is that Scott's like he has all of that knowledge and experience behind him and he's re-energizing it into uh, what he's doing. And it, like you said, it's the third act of his life. But right. Thousand Cranes, man, if that happens. Yeah, it can be legendary. Uh, It'd be great. I mean, I, I don't know if people know the story, but basically, you know, he, he, he when I was first at DD, he was starting to make movies there 
right? So right. he was actually trying to turn Digital Domain into a production studio. Yes. And they made one movie called Secondhand Lions. Robert which Duvall. I, yeah. With Robert Duvall, which is really a pretty good movie, actually. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a very good movie. It's a good movie. And, and there was a couple other ones, and there was another one called Instant Karma. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a little bit of a comedy that was interesting. Uh, but then he had A Thousand Cranes, and that was a big thing, and he was really, really passionate about it. And then when Digital Domain got sold, this is Digital Domain 2.0, oh. that script was part of the property that was owned. It got and tied so up in all that stuff. Yeah. got tied up in that. And so when, when uh, John Texter you know, bankrupted the company, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it, who cares, I don't care, uh, uh, that he owned, still still had that as something. So Scott fought really hard to get that back from Texter, right. um, and he yeah, has it now. So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like yeah. Like so that, he's that, that was that's his baby, right? And so like right. you can imagine, Eric, if someone held you hostage with the property and story of your life, exactly how that could feel. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I don't and know that, how that feels. Yeah, yeah. You, you have yeah. no experience in that. What's you right? have no experience in that. So, so, so this is something I think you should, uh, you know, maybe you, you can continue this conversation with Scott about yeah, that. It's probably I think there's some idea. advice that he could yeah. give you on this situation. Yeah, yeah. But like, this is the, this is the thing <laughs> is that I, my, like my impression of Scott has always been like, you, you get someone like the way the camera works is that Cameron is very much like there's no difference between Cameron and the movies he's making. He's just completely focused on himself in that thing. Right. Whereas I, I always get the picture from Scott. Like he is like here. I mean, sure. He's doing stuff that he is interested in, but he always has the time to make sure that other people catch fire about their own stuff. He wants to see people excited about mm-hmm. doing this stuff because that's where the best stuff comes from. And so, like, it's not centered in just promoting the name Scott Ross. It is centered in making great fucking stuff. Right. And I think that that is a, that is a, like, that is, like, that's the big difference um, between him and, say, like, like I said, I don't know James Cameron, but I have never heard of a project that has James Cameron tied up with it that doesn't talk about James Cameron. Well, <laughs> see, so here's the thing, actually, and, and honestly speaking, I'll, I'll tell you, that there's something very inspirational about Scott to me, because this is a lot of the way that I operate in some ways. And what Scott does is he doesn't know how to do everything, but he always knows someone who can. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And so that's the way that I operate. Like, listen, I'm not necessarily the best of anything that I do. Right. But I know a lot of people and I can pick out talent really well. Right. And picking out talent and having a good Rolodex, that is my superpower. That is that's your art. Thing. That is, that your is art. my art. Yes. Right. And that's yes. that's 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 called a being you know, I wasn't told this until Donna Smith again <laughs> told mm-hmm. me. like, that's called being a good producer, Chris. That's, yeah. that's what and, producing should be. That's what right. it always should be. And it, it's like, I don't know how to do this, but I know someone who does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude. Exactly. And that's what Scott does. I mean, look at all the people he talked about just just now. So yep. I was pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Well, I think so. I think that that's it. And I think feel like it's I mean, I feel I feel bad for him that like he feels like he's being shut out of history. That's um, bullshit, man. It's, it's bullshit. You can't do that to other yeah. artists. I know. It and sounds, and I, mean, I think I think that it shit, but it isn't, man. Well, this, this is the thing is that like when I like I like like when I when he talks about Cameron, et cetera, et cetera, I have no response. Like I'm thinking that I don't think that Cameron is like necessarily has any personal 
investment in hurting Scott Ross necessarily. I don't know. Right. Maybe like I think that more than likely. He's I think like, I think Cameron just wants to pretend that Scott didn't exist. Well, it's just more because efficient. I mean he's so angry at. Yeah. I mean there 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 was a lot of bad blood during yeah. Titanic. Like he like I think that Cameron yeah, wants to, like oh, what's what's great movie well, to make, dude. I well, mean it was. You know what I mean? I know, but but like Scott was like, "What are you doing? You're bankrupting your own company." Yeah, like he's like, you know, so. Right. And the thing is, like, that's the thing. It's like you know, with like with um, uh, Stan Winston. I mean, I'm I'm not wrong. Stan passed on, right? He, he, he died. did. He did. Yeah. He died. Yeah. So like, Stan is a he, his name is set in stone. Like Stan Winston cannot mess with you. He's just a legend. That's what right. it is. In right. fact, there's a Stan Winston school that's run by his son. Yeah, and right, I mean, rightly so. The guy was a genius, and the work he did yeah. was incredible and incredibly important to the uh, the filmmaking community. Yeah. Whereas, like Scott, even at what seventy one now, is a fucking loose cannon. He does because... not look seventy one, dude. No, not at really? all. I but thought he, he was... is still obviously I mean, a creative he force. He's a, he's a creative force with opinions. Wow, you know, yeah. and like that's for for someone like Cameron, that's not what Cameron needs. That's trouble. Like, like you don't want yeah. to with some, like this. Yeah, is like, he, it's he's just a like, Coppola. He's a Coppola. He's a Coppola. <laughs> like this right. is it. And so then none of that is none of, none of what I'm saying. He is, is a Coppola. Yeah, he is. Like, I'm not dissing That's James exactly Cameron at all. Like. James Cameron is trying to run the James Cameron business, and I totally get yeah. it. Obviously, I go to bad for Cameron all the time. Um, but like Scott Ross is is <laughs> right. And there's an, there's no no wonder yeah, why you he love likes Titanic. Apart. You love Titanic. I would do it today if you need it. Um, but I like oh. I love I love Cameron's work. I think he's amazing. However, Ugh. Cameron is like Cameron is not a Coppola, right? Uh, mm. Like Coppola would never have made Avatar. Like mm. he wouldn't do that. It's impossible. He did Apocalypse Now. He did Apocalypse <laughs> Now, and then, so it's no wonder why why Scott Ross loves Apocalypse Now because like that is the heart of who he is. It's just like we are going to fucking figure this thing out and get some crazy art made. Like, and I'm right. just going to jump in and do this thing. Like, that's the vision. And uh, that's not something a camera's ever going to do. He does less no. and less of that with every movie. You know? And so, and so he's like, a I, director. yeah. And like, I mean, he's, he's corporate unto, he's corporate unto himself. He's an well, enormous, of course you respect. have to yeah. be a corporate right. director. If your movies cost like $400 right. million, you have to be a corporate director. Yes. You're because he is, designer. Well, this, this is the thing. Without without dissing his movies, I can say that like I'm not dissing his, his movies. They're yeah, part movies. Like his his movies are essentially Marvel done right unto themselves. Like he has total control over them. He knows exactly what the experience is. Like it's Space Mountain. You know, it's just like ta- Titanic right. is the Space Mountain of Titanic. Like it's an entirely sealed event. You will experience it, and it's going to be exactly the way you wanted to go for you. Whereas, like, you can't watch Apocalypse now and not have your own opinion. Like that yeah. movie is like what it is forcing you, it's forcing <laughs> you to deal with emotions that yes. you rather not think about. Yes, exactly. And you're and, going to disagree with other people who also love it. <laughs> like, and I think actually, no, we 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 brought this up with like Milius and 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 Coppola are yeah. so diametrically opposed. Uh, uh, you know, I ideologically, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, oh, I think apparently, someone put in chat, someone put in chat, Eric Clapton is a big right wing guy now. Who Clapton is that's wild. Who that's said funny. it in chat? Who said it in chat? Really? Uh, someone, someone put it in chat. Uh, oh god, where was it? Oh no, someone, someone in chat, remind me who, who said uh, that Clapton's a big right wing guy now. 
which is I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked at that. That's bizarre. Oh yeah, it's McMonkey Man. Jeez, well, I trust that. That, that was a good true? source. We back that source. McMonkey Man, we need some source material. Oh no, of, I, try, like, I would like, trust. Top uh, I need. I want a picture of uh, Eric Clapton voting for, for Trump. Yeah, with <laughs> Rumsfeld. Yeah, yeah. cocaine with Rumsfeld in the seventies. That's what we need. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> yeah, like, but that's that's the thing. It's like, like you know, like I'm, I'm, I suppose if I think about it in context of like, if you had said like Neil Young is now a Republican, I'd be like, I mean, I'm obviously in a VR environment right now. This isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> Clapton maybe, Clapton maybe. But yeah, dude, wow. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm always very impressed with Scott. I always think I'm, I'm very, I'm particularly impressed with. It's just like with Coppola making his Metropolis movie. It's just like that sounds great, dude. He's still f- fucking throwing bombs. <laughs> like I'm just like, go, I, man. That's I am, insane. Yeah, that's yeah, the best. absolutely. I I'm. Uh, well, first of all, Scott was perfect for this podcast. I'm so he glad was we made it. Re- oh, true. Amazing that he did it, and the fact that he's giving me his gold top fifth. It's Guys, so nice <laughs> my God, that's can I can I part. yeah can I just merely point out the fact that I looked at it through Zoom through with all my eyesight, and I said that's a you fifty-six gold. Did I not just you nail that fifty-six it. gold it's top? On record, yeah, really. it's on. Record. It's, on it's a, no, that was unfortunately that happened before, before we hit. Before it started, oh, people oh, listening, he people in chat. Yeah. I, I was quietly amazed. Like the guitar is this big so on basically, screen. Yeah. Basically, like, we start. We, 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 this we, we got all the connections going about 15 minutes before we went live, and Eric immediately, as it goes, he's like, "Wait a minute, that's a 56, blah blah blah, and that's a blah blah blah, and it's a hummingbird." Someone else will mention the hummingbird in the background, uh, and then yes, Scott brought up. He's like, "Yeah, you're right. It is a 56, blah blah." <laughs> so, yeah. So mind blowing. I would not be able. To, I, like, I couldn't identify. Like if I knew anything, there's that, only well, 800 by 600 pixels on the screen, yeah, and Eric identified crazy. the guitar. 56, that, that maybe. Was, that was crazy. That was crazy. 1956. Yeah. That is the year of the Hungarian Revolution. Look at that. Huh. I, I, I know that because my mother is Hungarian and she escaped Hungary in 1956. Wow. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Look at me about it. She literally was running across the border as a 16 year old girl. Oh, my God. With uh, machine gun bullets uh, firing at them as they try to get into Austria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Less and then than she, uh, she was a political refugee in the United States and uh, met my father, and here I am. <laughs> there it is. The magic. The magic. The magic. But yeah, what, like, what a, it was great to have him on. And uh, like, we, yeah, we only get to sort of glance on Apocalypse now, but it's just sort of like, they, like I think it was like the, the, the context of his appearance is, to, is core to Martini Giant in that like, what we always argue for is that kind of passion about art and movies i think it is amazing that he brought up all the without having ever listened to our podcast he brought up all the same points that we brought up dude well it's like the same musicals same (laughs) things he said exactly it's like this is hysterical we're like literally i was just like we just said this yesterday literally yes (laughs) and then we weren't recording it we were just saying it yeah Yeah, so so he he is totally on the same page as us and it was amazing so i I, and i didn't prompt him all i asked him was like can you be on the podcast and he's like sure first of all how awesome is that like i literally texted them as like hey i'm doing the 100th episode and then he just called me he's like what's going on chris what can you do and i was like oh my god can you just like yeah we'll make it work and so and this is just as i was i think he had a good time i think he had a good time yeah Yeah. well yeah this is this this, we're his people man 
Yeah, dude, that was, uh, that was that was definitely fun. That was definitely a good deal. Yeah. Um, d- does this feel like we're headed towards a uh, an ad break and then regroup? Oh, do you need an ad break? Do you need an ad uh, break? I, I may need an ad break. <laughs> do you need an ad break? Okay, so I will I will go for an ad break. I'm going to give us a two minute ad break, and then we will be back. And actually, we will be talking about apocalypse now. I actually want to get into yeah I the get actual get plot food. of it. Yeah, let's go. You get a little food. Yep. Yeah. So uh, please stay with us. Uh, okay. And uh, we're going I'll- for a two-minute ad break, and I'm going to s- hit it right now, uh, and then uh, we'll be we'll be right back. Uh, I will sit here and continue to talk while these guys go. For okay. those I'll- of you who do not have commercials, I'll be available. All right. I'll, all right, I'll guys. Be, I'll be right back. back. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. We are going. To- oh my God! Everyone's leaving. Okay. So uh, for for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot of bladders need to be emptied, so go ahead and empty your bladders, and it's not a problem. Um, I do, I do, I really appreciate this, uh, and I really am excited about the fact that we had a uh, hundred episodes of this. I did not know that podcasting would be something that I would be doing at all when I first started. This was something that I did, obviously, with CG Garage uh, when I started CG Garage, which is actually coming up on eight years. And uh, I didn't really think about, you know, the fact that I would be broadcasting stuff out there. Uh, it was just an idea that I had. And I, uh, it, you know, chaos was very generous with saying, you know, come up with ideas of things you want to do. And I decided, hey, maybe what if I do a podcast? This would be interesting. And uh, it did. And it took off. Um, so Martini Giant actually started for those of you who are who have not actually been. Uh, following the podcast, uh, Martini Giant uh, started actually as a spinoff of CG Garage. And what that was is CG Garage is obviously a podcast uh, that I do for Chaos. And um, I it's mostly based on CG stuff. But when I decided like, hey, I need a little break from something, I invited Dan to come on board and we would talk about movies. And it turns out, obviously, because most of CG Garage is one-hour episodes, when Dan would come on, it'd go to two to three hours because he and I would end up just chatting about Star Wars for two to three hours, and it was a lot of fun. And they became pretty successful in a lot of ways, which was exciting. Uh, But the thing that was interesting is that uh, when... uh, uh, we would do these basically every few months. I would put on uh, a, a, a Dan a Thrawn episode, right? Uh, and so Dan uh, then uh, would be this repeat guest. And then I decided, you know, who would be really great as part of this conversation is Eric. And so we invited Eric onto the to, to CG Garage to be part of these film conversations. And those were really great. And then after a few years of that, and this was four years ago, by the way, that we kicked off this whole thing. Uh, we decided uh, let's actually spin off Martini Giant into another uh, podcast. Now, why did we call it Martini Giant? The reason we called it Martini Giant is actually pretty hilarious because Dan and I, when we were both working at Digital Domain, which was Caddy Corner to the Firehouse, we would take slight breaks because we were working you know, very long hours. We would go to uh, the Firehouse and we would have a cocktail at the Firehouse and chit chat before going back to work. And uh, he and I would drink martinis. And because of uh, the fact that uh, Dan has a striking resemblance to Hagrid from uh, <laughs> from uh, 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 Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Uh, and Why not? he would be he would be we're talking about the origin story of uh, of Martini Giant. 
and uh, and he would hold these um, martini glasses, and uh, the, some of the other regulars that were not digital domain people would be hanging out, and they apparently nicknamed Dan the Martini Giant because he looked like a giant holding a martini glass. Yes, exactly. And this was well, told large six foot three man with a tiny little martini glass. <laughs> right. And, and so uh, this was told to us by one of the, 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 the waitresses uh, over at uh, over there. And we thought it was hilarious. And Daniel Buck was with us at the time, said that is amazing. And so on his phone at that exact moment, he registered the domain martini giant. Martini giant. That's and right. that was sitting there just, in his GoDaddy account or whatever it was forever. Uh, and then when we said, what are we going to spin off this, this uh, podcast? What are we going to call it? And I said, you know, Daniel Buck still has the domain Martini Giant. Let's just call him Martini Giant. And that is basically where the origin story of Martini Giant happened. So if here we are, 100 episodes later, which is four years later. We've been doing this for four years. We average 25 shows a year because we do it every two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which is technically 26, but we take usually one day off or so, uh, or one right. week off. So that's where we are. So we've <coughs> literally four years, man. It's great. And I love I, I love being with these guys. I got to tell you, with hanging out with Eric and Dan, uh, which we do almost on a daily basis these days because we're actually trying to come up with some new projects and ideas uh, collaboratively uh, and creatively, which is very exciting. Hanging out with you guys every day is uh, one of my highlights. You know, oh, what, this, this is the thing that, that I feel like, oh, we're going to, I'm talking with my peeps, right? I'm talking with my guys and I'm not dealing with people that don't get it. You guys get everything I'm trying to say. So I yep. appreciate it. Well, back at you, brother. Yeah, no, this has definitely yep. been like one of my, one of the very greatest uh, creative relationships of my whole life. And it allows me to uh, uh, blather about the stuff I love the most with people that I respect the most about the stuff. And it's, uh, I'm very lucky to be a part of it. So a uh, hundred, a hundred is easy. Hundred is easy. You yeah, hundred is easy, track. right? So yeah. let, let's see, like, let, let, like when we get to two hundred, I think we want to be in like in a. It's going to be a very different show, and it's going to be very different organization. I know that I'm fighting hard, hard, hard for uh, for for Eric and his creative this uh, his creative struggling that he's dealing with right mm-hmm. now. But I want that successful so much. So I'm fighting hard for Eric at this point. Yep. He's my he's my hero. So Fine. I'm going to make this happen. Fight hard for Martini Giant. We got to. Uh, uh, well, Martini Giant is going to help you. <laughs> That's what it's, I'm trying to make it, happen. This is it, man. Well, yeah. it's, it, this is a. It's a special. Uh, it's a. It's a special thing, the Giant, and uh, yeah. we want. We want to like dance we, stuff too. I I, I, mm-hmm. I feel very I feel very very good about uh, our future stuff together, and that yeah. they, that I like. I think it's fair to say that our vision for what Martini Giant both is and can grow into is um uh is larger than just talking about individual far things. beyond a podcast <laughs> so <laughs> but I think the flavor of the podcast the flavor of the podcast is yes. what it's about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. that's uh, absolutely that's, that's the seat of all that stuff it's very exciting all right but uh, so but yeah but again having scott on to talk about that kind of inspiration is is a good jumping off point for that stuff yeah because i think he gets it right like he gets yeah. what we are and he gets the struggle that we're dealing with so yeah. um and, and he listen god man he's 71 Hell and yeah. he's still struggling with it right yep never stops we're not just going to sit there on our coattails no he is still fighting for things that are important to him yep. which is great yeah which is really to. great 
yeah, like, yeah, yeah that's a, like hearing that he, I'm so happy that he got that fucking script back. I thought that that was going to be lost. Oh, yeah, I thought it was lost. For, he, I remember him like this, this. This was and that was the one that was the most important to him. Right. Yeah. Secondhand lines is like that. I, I can make that movie like that. That's movie a good movie. Can be, yeah, that's a good movie. Like, that's like, a movie like, to make. that's yeah. someone that's that's some. And I think he was right. Like, that's the first one that I can sell pretty easily. Right. Yeah. So, so um, absolutely. And he did that right. Uh, I think it was interesting, like uh, Instant Karma probably could have been um, pretty cool as well. Uh, I remember Instant Karma, man, when they were casting stuff or they were looking at people coming in for Instant Karma. Uh, I remember Jason Alexander came in, which was pretty hilarious. But the best the best two stars that came to DD to talk about Instant Karma was Burt Reynolds and Don DeLuise. Oh my wow. God. I remember Don DeLuise. These yeah. leads of business? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And it was amazing. And I remember there was. Didn't uh, you maybe, offend Don DeLuise? Didn't you call I didn't, him like fat or beast? Hey, hey weren't you, you know, a fatso? You I'm a from, fatso. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Wait a minute. I want to clarify. I think you did. But anyway, I did I not. Know, I did not. But I will say that Don DeLuise who is a very charismatic person mm-hmm. and basically just owns the room everywhere he goes, sure. uh, decided that he wanted to work the reception desk at DD for a little bit. <laughs> and he sat at the reception desk as people were coming in. How Can you imagine walking in? <laughs> yes. And he answered the phone. Hello, digital domain. Like, like literally he was doing that. It was oh my so God, funny. That's insane. And, uh, and the other thing that was funny was, um, uh, Kelly Lestrange. Do you remember Kelly Lestrange? Yeah. 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 I think it was her birthday. I believe it was her birthday. And uh, they were going to do that cheesy corporate thing where like, oh, come to the conference room for an impromptu meeting and they're going to give her a cake, right? Right. Right. So she shows up at the conference room. There's no cake. But then who shows up around the corner but Burt Reynolds who delivers her cake for her? Oh, my God. Dude. How great is that, dude? (laughs) Can you imagine? That's that would be a tale I'd tell for the rest of my life if that happened to me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was almost I'm pretty sure that happened and I'm almost positive it was uh Kelly Strange. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the yeah. only difference is if I told that story, I would refer to him as Gator rather than than <laughs> <laughs> And there's Gator. Gator. <laughs> Gator with a cake. <laughs> Gator with a cake. Gator with a cake. That is it. All right. So um I do want to, you know, like I want to make sure that like people are like, okay, just, just tell me why we we've talked a lot about the importance of the making apocalypse now, and honestly speaking, that is almost as important as the movie itself. But I should we should talk about what the movie is, and I actually want to run through the plot a little bit. Yep, hit it. Uh, if you guys can do it with me. Uh, so the first thing you should note is that the entire film takes place with no credits in it whatsoever. Hmm. Not yeah. even the title of the movie. The only way that they got it to be called Apocalypse Now and the way they did it is that it has to be included somewhere in the movie at some point, And it appears as graffiti about on three quarters on the wall, three quarters uh, through the film. And that is and that is how it's called why it's called Apocalypse Now and how I got that title and how I was able to keep the title. Right. But the entire film starts with no credits and ends with no credits. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing at the end it says copyright zoetrope yeah, whatever. That's it. Right? Yeah. Very and few films it. have ever done anything like that, even now. Right. And still to today no one would ever let yep. that pass. Yep. Like, like literally, 
just it goes so when minute zero happens at the end of it that is literally the end of the film mm. no credits incredible process but starts off opening sequence as we mentioned in past is uh the doors song this is the end which is very ironic obviously mm. because it's the beginning of the film but it is the end of the world and it's a bunch of helicopters and hellfire and just destruction by mm-hmm. the doors right yeah uh Slow motion. Am I right? Slow yep. motion? Yeah. And uh, and, and very the weird camera. sound design. Like the... Yeah. I mean, seriously, at that time, no one did anything like that. It's pretty wild. It's yeah. pretty wild. Right. Like, I mean, people now, already if, the... if, you, if you hear that effect, which does happen, it's a reference to Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Because everything <laughs> like you hear the, yeah, that, that reference is like... <laughs> Yeah. The slow motion helicopter effect sound that's done constantly now, but it's probably because they were inspired by apocalypse now. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and absolutely amazing. So the doors are singing, et cetera. And then we go to uh, Charlie Sheen's not Charlie. I keep saying Charlie. Uh, apparently Charlie Sheen was in this as a young person oh, really? <laughs> taken out of the movie. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, cut out, but he was a delivery boy or something like that. Anyway, Martin Sheen, his father, uh, who uh, is in a hotel room? I guess it's his second yeah. tour in Vietnam, right? That's what it's supposed to be. Go ahead. Yeah, he's Dan. yeah. So You've he's seen in, this on the back of your eyeballs. You know exactly. Yeah, what's going I did. On. Like, so yeah, Martin Martin Sheen is sort of a uh, a, a special forces guy, and uh, and he is laid up in a hotel in Saigon, waiting Saigon. for his uh, orders, his next round of orders. And uh, as the movie goes, you sort of get more and more of his background. Like they employ him to. Uh, do wet work and sort of the dirty work behind the, dirty the scenes. Yeah, exactly. By the way, wet work for is CIA terminology where you come in, you do like all like surface cleaning, windexing. Oh yeah, all, yeah. You're right. No, I totally got. Right. I was saying made flan. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That, no, that, no, no, that's no. one of those two things. Keep exactly. going. Sorry, but, so he's making a flan, but the uh, but he wakes up in Saigon with a classic line like uh, "Shit, I'm still in Saigon," and he talks about like. I just want to get back into the jungle and into the fight. Like when I'm home, life doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense here. Right. Right. And, but he's uh, also drunk and he, and he, so he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he just drinks himself silly. Like right. when, like when he, when he is not part of the war, like he is just drinking himself into nonsensicality. Right. Right. And you see him obliterate himself because he wants to just, and as himself. we mentioned before, he he was actually in that state when they filmed them, and the filmmakers were kind of feeling incredibly hard about filming that situation. Right, and and, just, and Sheen said that he wanted to do that. Like this is what like this was. Yeah, she, Sheen's, was big at yeah, that time, she, right? Sheen's <laughs> choice to 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 say okay to this, but he the, like he is a fucking mess in the beginning of the movie. And co- yeah. as you compare it, like compare it to any other part of the movie, when he's on the mission, he is stone cold, completely together. Has no reservations yeah. about anything. Like he's just like yeah. this is what I'm here to do. But you yeah. see his inner core exposed at the very beginning of the film, which is just like I'm actually a mess, and I don't know how to uh, merge my actual sort of non-war life uh, with my war life. My war life makes sense, but when I try to live a regular life, it makes no sense. And that, so I am a I'm a drunken self. Uh, destructive fool, right? And 
uh, he gets so drunk that he's just like, you know, like he's he cut he punches a mirror, which is symbolic. Uh, he which he actually did. I, I think that was impromptu, by the way. Yes, uh, like he's doing these sort of weird karate moves. Punches a mirror in his underwear. Like, oh, in his underwear, and, it's, and he cuts his hand really, really badly. They continue to film for it. real, bleeding, for real, yeah. bleeding all over everywhere. And and him punching the mirror is a symbolic event where like there's two, you know, like he he truly hates himself. Like he's in the bad spot in his life yeah. and he does not want to see the reflection of himself. Exactly. Which is right. interesting because this is something I wish to note. Like there's a lot in this movie that is um, unscripted, right? Yes. Including, including they saw what, that it was important. So they they saw this as like, oh, this is an important thing. So like the fact that they took those moments and it's like, oh, that is a moment that right. represents you <laughs> and the film. Well, this, and they took it. Yeah. Right. Because Coppola's Coppola's the way that he went about making movies, especially at that point was like, he, there's a script and we're filming a bunch of stuff and we're definitely trying to guide where the movie goes, but we're going to get everything. And we're going to have like a documentary influence where it's just like, if we catch something that works, we're putting it in there, you know? And so like this sets up Martin Sheen and Martin Sheen's character in a very interesting way, because you never see him like this for the rest of the film. But you know right. it's it's in the back of your mind. So he messes himself up totally, cut blah blah blah, and then the um, the MPs come and they're just like, "You have to come with us, sir." And it's right. he thinks it's because he's you know, done something bad or he's blacked out and did something, whatever it is. Right. Um, but in fact, they have a very special mission for him. Right. And so they and who's who's running? Who's the person who briefs him on a mission? <laughs> Harrison Ford, <laughs> which is interesting. So Harrison Ford also should note is like this was after Amer like in terms of the filming, this was after American Graffiti, but before Star Wars. However, Apocalypse Now took so long to make that by the time it came out, Star right. Wars was already famous. So he became famous between the filming. And yep. the release of this film. And and in Star Wars, he's obviously this cocky, jackass, fun character, right? And right. Then, But in Apocalypse Now... You know what his name is in Apocalypse Now is, right? No. Jay Lucas. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Or G. Lucas, sorry. G. Lucas, so, that's funny. Yeah, because he wanted to credit George Lucas for giving him his career. That is that is as good as of like I just... I only found this out like three years... I think we might have been with a podcast on it, but I didn't know... That uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell is uh, named his character for a, for Clockwork Orange because he's only called Alex in the book, but in the movie he's listed as Alex DeLarge, and I'm just like okay. Alex DeLarge is the greatest possible name for that character. And now I have another story, which is the the G Lucas Go story. Ahead. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, no, yeah. just I'm I'm agreeing with you. So like that's okay. So like he is a very unassuming minimized personality. I think this is like mm -hmm. Ooh, Harrison Ford. Harrison right? Ford in the scene. Yeah, he's only he's in there for like five minutes. But he's like, what's really brilliant. And uh, but his voice, but the thing is, it's like the Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford voice of delivering the briefing is perfect. It's perfect. And like, and uh, we can get, go more into more detail on it later, but like it's the, that sequence is a perfect setup for, uh, what the ultimate statement of the movie is because these guys that are giving him the lowdown on what to do, like nobody wants to fucking say exactly what it is they want him to do. Yeah, like, I know. They're really dancing around like it. it. They're, they're just like, well, you know, he's, he's uh, 
well, there's this colonel, Colonel Kurtz, and he's obviously gone insane, and he's doing some terrible things. Out, he's off the reservation, out in the jungle, they say, and all this, and they're and they're saying how terrible he is. Now something's got to be done about him, you know, and like. But no one's saying if you we can want... help us. That would be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it isn't like like and even when they finally I can't say, say it, what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. When they finally say it, when great. they finally say what they want him to do, it's even phrased in this corporatized speak of like terminate the colonel's command, and then someone else says with extreme prejudice. Right. Like not go kill this motherfucker. Like that's not they can't say that they can't they, say he's an assassin. They can't say that you're like they won't say that that Sheen's an assassin. They will they'll, they'll barely describe what Kurtz is doing. It's all very vague, but they're just like please terminate the colonel's command, whatever that means, and do it without you know without waiting to find out anything else. Like you see him just make sure his command is terminated, right? You know, and so like the entire sequence. Like you have these guys that they're they're passing around a dinner plate and it's like all these sort of like, uh, all right, like uh, all this the dinner. Like, the dinner situation was kind of weird. Like it's weird kind of, because right. the, like, he made the, like, a lot of that guy. Uh, uh, not bottom. Well, I forget the direct uh, bottoms. Who was uh, the uh, actor? Oh, the, oh, it's not Timothy Bottoms. This is the other guy. It's uh, it's it's brother maybe. John Bottoms. I can't remember. But yeah, the, the, the guy who played the no, the old guy in the dinner. Where with oh yeah uh, that guy who's also the uh, the governor from Godfather yeah, Two who's framed he right. made up those lines oh really he wrote That's them great. and then he brought them to him and and uh, Coppola was like look I know you're kind of patty but this is brilliant stuff so it's just great it. and so like all those guys like there's a couple of people in the scene that barely say anything like there's the other guy who's just sort of looking and watching the whole time which reminds me in uh, The Shining when there's the character that is watching. Uh, the the owner of the Overlook described to Jack Nicholson what the job is, and you're just like, who the fuck is this dude? Like this guy seems sinister, and I don't know why. But like everybody there is talking around the issue, and finally Harrison Ford is the one who has to say, terminate the Colonel's command, right? And the way he says it is so like embarrassed and small. Like right. he doesn't want to even uh, uh, ter- terminate the Colonel's command with. Uh, uh, you know, and the guys with extreme prejudice, like right. that, like this is the only thing that needed to be said and nobody wanted to fucking say it. Right. right. And so this, this is, he's gets the dossier on Colonel Kurtz played by Marlon Brando. And, and this is the booklet that he is going to be going through that Sheen's going to be reading for the rest of the movie. And the structure of the movie is as Sheen reads deeper into the document, that gives he Kurtz goes deeper and deeper into the jungle. He goes deeper and deeper into the jungle. So metaphorically, these two things are united, right? Yep. And he joins a um, a boat crew, which is headed into the jungle. Uh, well, first and- of all, he goes he he the the before he meets he, the boat crew, he meets Duval, who gives him the boat crew. Oh right? yeah, well, no, he's like they got the boat crew, but Duval's going to. Yeah, he's got the boat crew immediately, but the, right. Duval is going to uh, Duval is the is the gatekeeper that's right. going yeah, to get him. Yeah, they need to get up through there, right. and he says, "I'll carry your boat because right. you and can't so, get up through there unless you do this." The boat, right? The boat but then, crew, they, but then one of the crew members is like a famous surfer. Yeah, so the the crew members of Sheen's boat. There's there's the chief who drives the boat, who, and he's the guy who's in command of the boat, uh, and the chief is a very. Uh, 
He doesn't want to be there. He Go just buy wants the books, to, guy. Like, buy the books, get it done, get the fuck out. Like, he is not interested in whatever this crazy Martin Sheen is there to do. He's just going to, like, That's he right. wants to get the fuck out of here as fast as possible. And the way that he knows how to do it is by following orders. That's it. Right. Right. And so he wants to maintain a tight, clean boat. Get in, get out. That's that. You have, after that, you have a chef. Right. Uh, uh, who is a chef. Yeah, he was a saucier. (laughs) And he's like this, like, you know, sort of, you know, Midwestern, Southern, you know, kind of like, I just want to be a saucier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from Louisiana, right? Louisiana. Yeah. And so, like, he's, uh, so, and so he's just, he's just representative, just like regular dude, like lower class white dude from America. And he's just like, I'm like, I'm just going to pretend like this is all just rock and roll and fun, man. Sometimes you got to do hard stuff. too. Right, it's true. And right. uh and then to counterpoint that, you have Lance, who is a famous surfer back in California. Right. And so all between the two of them, all they want to do is just fuck off. Like right. one to, wants to cook, one wants to surf. And one wants to surf. So there's right. like all these scenes of of like surfing like uh, like uh water skiing off the back of the boat, listening to rock and roll. This is it. And then finally right. you have Lawrence Fishburne who is suspiciously young and the actor himself is 14 or 15. Yeah, exactly. He lied about his age. He was supposed to be 17 and he was 14 when he started. Can you fucking believe that? And, and, and Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, like, like you can barely recognize him as Lawrence Fishburne. He's he's a little kid. kid. And it's not even like he's a little kid compared to Lawrence Fishburne. You would watch the movie. You're like, if you didn't know who Lawrence Fishburne is, you're like, that's a little kid. Like, what the fuck right. is a little kid doing here? And then right. the, the truth, you know, the truth of the, and this is actually something they do in, um, in Malik's Thin Red Line as well. In the middle of this battle, they just cut to like an actual 18 year old kid who's getting shelled. Right. And when you see an 18 year old kid in a situation like that, you're like, what, wait, what? That's a child. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, cause usually when you make war movies, you're just like, man, you know, it was tough in war. I was 36, <laughs> you know, and like all the actors yeah. are like deep in their twenties somewhere, you know? And then, but you see like an actual 18 year old kid, like you're like, that is a little boy, you know, like there's, there's no way around it. And Lawrence Fishburne not only represents this, he also represents the fact that like, like for the longest time, the black experience of Vietnam was just not even talked about, even though that's like one third of the people that were there at least. You know. I think I think actually I want to point out a couple of things. The intuition that's brought up in chat is that mm-hmm. yes, part of the embarrassment of having to terminate Kurtz's command is that he had a laundry list of accomplishments and medals. Yes, and, great point. Right? Great point. Right. So like, so so this, like he was one of the greatest people brilliant. out there, and right. we are asking you to terminate. If he was a right. crappy general. It wouldn't be as bad. He's some, but, some shithead, right? But in fact, like as Sheen is going deeper and deeper into the dossier, Sheen is mesmerized by this guy. Like he is like the lead guy at yeah, uh, it's the like military asking, school he goes through. Right. Like he go, he's not even just like like he's like he could have taken the easy course and become yeah. a, a four star general if he wanted to. Instead, he bails on that tack and joins the Marines when he's thirty six. Which is impossible. Like you're like you're not in shape to do anything like this. Then he says like the the other kids must have thought he was insane. Some fucking old over the hill old man trying to hump it through these courses. But the guy does it anyway. 
like he's just like i'm going to do this i'm entirely determined and you see the photographs of him become more and more like he's affected by his choices he's becoming harder and harder and harder and harder right until he you know when he gets his command in vietnam and like he just takes control and initially everyone is like nice job operation arc light or whatever it was was a tremendous success and then he takes it further and further and further until he's just killing everyone he sees and he has a crazed army that follows him to do this right like, and, and they and they worship the man both, like they both, say both, as a both god. american and vietnamese <laughs> yeah exactly and uh and so like you get more and more of this as it goes along and the mechanism of the movie uh is that uh, it's made up of, of a bunch of set piece scenes uh, uh, that show you sort of sequences of things that happen in Vietnam that get crazier and crazier and less make less and less literal sense until you end up at Kurtz's domain. And right. so, like the like the first thing you run into is this guy is Colonel Kilgore who is Robert Duvall and Robert Duvall is there. To f he's there with his boys fighting the war and they fly helicopters and they land him. And they, but I think it also he's wearing a cavalry hat. Yes. He is like, he's old but school, the old school, right? Like the cavalry, the, the, yeah, the cavalry hat. still, still technically exists. Yeah, as a division is, but it's helicopters now it's, but helicopters. it's helicopters that's supposed to horses right yes. but he's still fucking wearing the cavalry right. hat I think and with nothing said, else like the pants and the cavalry hat is like amazing apparently um one of the generals or one of the leaders of the, of the cavalry in vietnam was Patton's son oh wow interesting so yeah, man. loosely based off of that Inspired guy by that yeah yeah, and really apparently wild. that line was like, I love the snail of napalm in the morning. Like one of the most famous lines from mm -hmm. this movie is was actually uh, uh, when they said it. I don't know if it was an improv line or not. It could have been an improv. No, Amelia wrote that apparently. Amelia's, okay. So apparently they were like, feels like, oh, this is too far, too far. Like, like can't. It's not possible like, to deliver this line and have it work. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the most famous line from the movie. It's iconic. Right? Like, it's, yeah, it's iconic. And the thing yeah. is, it's iconic because of what Duval does with it. Because, like, that could oh, be yeah. played as, like, a joke, and he could have made a joke about it. But instead, when he says it, he... Uh, Means it. <laughs> he gives you real emotion. Yeah. Like, like, this is the truth of it. Like, and this is a glimpse of what I, like what I was saying before is like Kurtz when I, you know, um, spoiler alert, Kurtz to me in this last watch, I was like, Kurtz is right. Kurtz is doing exactly what people are, what the brass are asking to do. That's the problem. Right. Right. And so at the front end, when you meet Duvall, like Duvall and his team, you know, his cavalry, like they are there doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is murdering everybody in this town. Like mm -hmm. gunning them down from the sky, but they were also, but there was a specific thing they're doing, right? So it's like yes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they introduce, they're bringing, they, they're, they're introducing Americana, American culture to them. And to them, they're surfing. Surfing yes. became suddenly like, oh, 
This Forget is the about all the other problems. Right. Surfing is my this most is, important problem yes, right now. This is the because these are the first these are the religious zealots that are the Americans. Like right. they, like it's a side Marvel effect. films, surfing. Yeah, like this like for 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 Kilgore and his crew, like they don't want to kill anybody. It doesn't occur to them to kill anybody. It's just that we have to kill these people so we can surf. Like what else you no, want? How, I, like, I, I how else are we going to fucking way to deal with the war? Well, that, well no, this is like I, a, no, you're to, you're totally a right. That's where I'm going. Teenager, kind of a it's a, this American is how you, teenager. This yeah. is how you disassociate, right? Yeah. Like because well, what you really what you really want is the surfing. Like you want the Americana experience of this is what America is about. I'm Doris a Day teenager. films. This is this is bikini America, party. Man. And as a as a side effect, if you oh, want the surfing, also, you also ironically, kill everybody in the town. Okay, uh, I want I want to actually point out like he actually the vol makes a point about the style of surfing about how they use the heavy boards versus the light boards, and he does this in the film, which is specifically separating him from the hippie generation. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what right. I mean? Like he is the greatest generation versus riding back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, like, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so like he is specifically saying, "I'm the greatest generation. You yes. are the, the 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 baby boomers." And oh, you kids that, like to ride back on your boards, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. he is actually making a generational comment on the yeah. surfing yeah. style yes. that is important in this thing, and I think it was really interesting. And all of this conversation is happening while. And bombs are going off everywhere. Going off everywhere. And he takes them to one of the most dangerous places to go because the breaks of the waves are going to work. And by the way, I should also note that in this, there was another article I read uh, today which said that in the Philippines, surfing took off as a uh, sport because of apocalypse. Because of apocalypse. That's, That's nuts. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, people are like, oh, my God, this is a great – like, yeah, they got interested in it because of apocalypse. Now. There's no there's no good waves in this whole shitty country. It's all goddamn beach break. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like, the, the, best, thing is like the thing, though, is like he would sit there and say, bomb, I want 100 yards from that ridge – just bomb the shit out of it. And then yeah. this woman comes with a baby. He's like, help her, help her. Get her to the best hospital. Yeah. It's like, yes. wait a minute. You're well, it's the guy with the, the gut shit pulling, out of right? Yeah. But no, then- after that, this woman comes with a baby and he takes his shirt off. Right. And he's like, blow that ridge, 100 clicks. Or blah, 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 blah. Right. And then he's like, oh, my God, get her. He grabs the baby and then he cradles the baby. And he's like, get her to a hospital. It's like, right. wait a minute. Because to- just bomb them. <laughs> yeah, because like because this is like the, di- the disassociation that – is that, that that's everywhere in the scenes amazing because like Duval is quite proud of what he does like Duval is like when he says tells the the napalm story you know like he's not telling like a, he's not even barely even telling a story of war he's like this is something i'm proud to have done because it gives us the life that we want like this this is victory we have i've done my job which is to clear the way for america and america means surfing you know, like this is the, this is what we are, and I am a hero because I do this, and I'm and again, he respects heroism um, because he's like, there's the dude with his, there's the Viet Cong guy with his guts blown out, and he's holding the guts in with like a plate or like a hubcap or something, which is actually based on a top of what happened, top of a top hot lid, right? Yeah, and and the guys say, and and this and the and this South Vietnamese guy is just like. This guy's a he's VC and like you know he can drink patty water if he wants water and Duval's pissed. He's like anyone who can hold his 
guts in with a pot lid can drink from my canteen any day, right? He re- he respects bravery because it takes a brave soul to fight for what you believe in and what he believes in is surfing, which is America, right? And then the moment he says it, he just sort of walks away from that dude. Who cares? We got, we got, because Wait, there's he a sees, surfer here? Hold yes, on, I gotta go meet because him. Because he sees Lance. He's just like, fuck it. And he just takes the canteen. It's like a whatever. Heroism. It's the attention whatever. span of American. Yeah, exactly. And so by, this K- is Casey acknowledged uh, Casey acknowledged my my story about uh uh uh, uh uh, the Philippines uh, embracing uh, surfing after the movie was made. <laughs> so genius, dude. Okay. All right. So I want to make sure we get through all this. So, okay. So yeah, it is amazing. And so I, I heard, by the way, that, that that canteen story and the guts thing actually is based on a true story that happened in Vietnam. I believe it was an American soldier sure. that that happened to. But anyway. But so yeah, he is like, they, they have this experience <laughs> where that we have this experience where we witness what the air cab does which is they mow down this entire village, right? Right. And wait a minute, and they, I just want to clarify: they don't mow down; they kill them. Yeah, they kill everybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. And specifically, James Cameron mows down his front yeah, yard. We already favorite, established my, that. One of my very favorite things in the scene, <laughs> right, is that this this woman who's like they, they're shooting up, like they're shooting up everything from the sky. They have Wagner, which is a suspicious choice. Like right. they're yes. just kill, killing everybody. Like the, and, the, and like so very sort of like you know. We were like, isn't this fun killing everybody in this town adventure, right? And then this one woman, a teacher at the school who they're, they're killing everybody in her town. They're killing kids and teacher runs out from the school and towards a landed helicopter and throws a grenade in the helicopter and kills a guy, like a single guy. And Robert Duvall uh, says, get the guns on her right now terror in half and then he says his commentary fucking savages i know that was the best and i'm just like like, you literally (laughs) just killed everybody here in uh, everybody everybody and you are so like like that's like he looks at her like that's exactly that's exactly how i feel about the the arguments that are done by the the right right now when i listen to them and they're like oh my god the liberals are terrible it's like like the, the you just fucking attack the capital, right? The cognitive dissonance <laughs> going on. Tried to start so a coup. Like you're just like, how can you? How can your brain operate like this? Like it doesn't make any sense. And you can see it on Martin Sheen's face. Like he's just like, this is this is insanity. Because like at least Martin Sheen knows what the fuck he's doing. He's not kidding himself. Like right. He's like, oh, he yeah, he knows. He's like he just went through that dinner. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's a great great way to say it, right? It's like what you're seeing with the air cav and the attack is the same scene as the dinner scene. Right. No one is being honest about what they're actually doing. Right. Like they're not saying it. The the only honest moment. Yeah, exactly. The only honest moment is when Duvall says one day this war is going to end and he's sad about it. Like he is he is like legitimately heartbroken that that this can't continue forever. And then you're like. Oh, all right, man. And then you leave that, right? And then you go to the scene with uh, the USO, right? Right. With with the Playboy bunnies dancing. And so like right. This- all right, all right, okay. So so real quick, they they go up the river. So basically, this is a journey at the start of the river where you're surfing. So it's on the coast, and they're going up river deeper and deeper and deeper. 
the river gets narrower, the situation gets gnarlier. Mm-hmm. It is down the rabbit hole situation. Yeah. Like it gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. The weirder, visuals are stranger. The settings are visuals stranger. are stranger. It becomes this fantasy as you go up this methodological right. situation. Right. And, right? And, and, and you're getting more and more clarity as you yeah. look through the dossier. Right. Like you're seeing like, you're seeing like for, from, uh, from Sheen's point of view, he's like, so this guy is a, is a sort of military genius as I'm right. reading about him and the landscape I'm going into makes less and less sense. And so right. his vision of what to do about this becomes <laughs> clearer. Yeah. Like, right. Like there's like the only, the only proper response to this environment is what Kurtz has become. Like right. you have to embrace the insanity. Yeah, but he's still following the orders. It's like he's he's just, it yeah, is. Like, but what's interesting this. is that you you are you you open up with the insanity of war, and then you're like, "That's just the opening," and then we're right. going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And then you deal with multiple situations, right? So there's the USO tour. They end up somehow at some camp. Which is a USO tour, mm-hmm. and the USO tour. If uh, it's a depot camp, it's a supply point. It's a supply point. But for those of you who don't not necessarily know what uh, that is, who are not necessarily American, USO, uh, there was a lot of people in the entertainment industry that would go and do shows for soldiers uh, in war situations. Keep up their to, morale. To keep up their morale. It was actually big on the Second World War, I believe. Bob Hope was a big guy in uh, part sure. of that situation. Um, and it was keep up their morale, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is uh, – and they would they would fly them into – these big stars and big yeah. people yeah. into some really, really crazy, crazy, crazy locations. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're going to get you there. And then these guys have been camped out in the middle of Afghanistan or whatever it is. And, and, and it's kind of scary. Uh, so in this particular one, they set up this impromptu stage in the middle of the freaking jungle in Vietnam right. with a bunch of, you know, horny soldiers and give them three top Playboy bunnies to dance for them. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's not, I mean, like just in the face of it, you're like, this may not go well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. These guys have been in the jungle for a while. It's so taunting right. though, too. It's just yeah. like, yeah. Well, it's like really, the stage has all these big like missiles lined up around it, like all the yeah. guns. That big the girl time. was the playmate of the year was carried out on two eight K forty sevens. Yes, yes. The yeah, guys exactly. were holding up between, right. and and they carried her out on them. It's just like kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, and I, so right. get, it like, really is taunting them. Right, and the thing is, I mean, they, they, it's just like here are all these soldiers like in the middle of fucking nowhere, and the it's like the the American dream shows up. And it's like, yeah, come on, Playboy, yeah, it's it's great, right? Yeah, and literally, there's a it's Playboy, there's a Playboy decal on the front of the helicopter, right? Which is it's, it's so fucking off putting and surreal. Like you're like, this is it's not like this is sexy. This is weird. Like what the fuck is going yeah. on? And the girls look terrified. Yeah, like they're they're barely yeah. dancing and they're like, oh, <laughs> can we go? <laughs> I'm in the middle of the jungle in Vietnam. Like, yeah, what like the hell am I doing? It's bad here? enough that there's an enemy that might also kill me. But like, look at these troops; they're going bananas. Like, what is the situation? And they storm the stage, of course. They storm the stage. The girls get away. Like they take the girls away in the helicopters, and, and it's they just play it's Suzy just in the Suzy Q, right? And like it just descends. Martin Sheen just watches as this descends into madness, and the way he's right. looking he's at it, just, just like. Been, 
voyeur on the whole yeah. thing. It's he's looking at this right. like, well, what the fuck did you expect? Like, dude. Yeah, I mean, and this is an important thing. Like, so it should be noted there's a couple of things that they added. And I, I'm not sure, Eric, you, you probably know. Was the voice over part of the script or did they add that later to clarify? It was added later, I think. It was added later. Because the voiceover was really good. Like, the, like, oh, like the, the narrative in the background is really good. And this is supposed to be his thoughts about stuff going on. Because basically, for a big, big portion of the film, he is an observer of yes. the war. Right? right. Because, like, yeah, he is like, what's your, well, without the narration, it it, it, w- it wouldn't be an internal film the way it should be. Right. Right. Yeah. Because what you're really examining is what's happening for Martin Sheen. Like Martin Sheen's. It's a POV situation. Yeah. Like these, these are everything that he's seeing is essentially him emotionally thinking through the, 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 the process that will eventually lead him to becoming close and to make, Kurtz. And make the decision. And make the decision. And so, like, it's a, it's a, it's an entirely metaphorical evolution of character, and you're seeing it and hearing it from his point of view. You're seeing what he's seeing, and you're hearing what he's thinking, and everything else on screen just becomes an, uh, a, a a metaphor for what those emotions are for him, you know. And uh, and so that's why you can be like these both very specific looking detailed events that also make no sense. Like right. it becomes it's like it's like a weird dream, you know. Yeah. Sure. And uh, and so like the like whether it's the the air cav attack or whether it's USO or whatever, it's just like at some point you're like, what what is really going on here? Because like this is everything we're seeing is like this weird put on like mm-hmm. there is no like it's like, yeah, surfing, playboy bunnies, <laughs> yeah, just, distraction, distractions, you know, distractions from the reality of the matter. Exactly. Yeah, you just killed 100 people. Exactly, and Here's so the they go, right, and you and like one of my it's like one of my favorite fucking lines in the entire. This one doesn't get quoted a lot, but it's one of the best lines in the movie. Is like after all the fucking mayhem, guys hanging off the USL helicopter, like dudes hanging off a guy hanging from the helicopter, and his well, pants are half down. Right, right. it's just it's utterly bizarre they're literally terrible. hanging on to the helicopter trying to get to the playboy bunnies as they're escaping their mayhem yeah exactly right <laughs> yes so and, you guys understand what we're Mar- talking about and martin sheen comes on in the voiceover and says charlie don't get much uso <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. oh my god yeah. like he's just like for for charlie like a like relaxation is like maybe we get some good decent rat meat well, right, they uh, show and them looking through the fence at the show. They show. Yeah, they do. They do. Very important. Very important. There's a real contrast there. And, that was a really important and, shot. In that, in that, and showing that and talking about Charlie don't get much USO, what, what he is saying is like, the people that we are fighting understand what war is. Like, they don't yeah. have a choice in this fucking matter. They don't want to be here doing this. This is yeah. cruel insanity, and they and understand we're, we're that. We're sitting here entertaining each other. Yeah, and we're jerking, pretend jerking yeah. around with playmates and surfing and all this other fucking shit, you know. And we're pretending like it's not happening. Meanwhile, right. these guys are outside the fence. They're eating rat meat in tunnels, and they don't get much USO. Right. You know, and because USO is a fantasy, it's total fantasy. That's the American fantasy that was fueling. Like, please continue to go and murder people. And maybe when you get back home, you'll get a Playboy bunny of your very own. Right. You know, that's basically what they're saying to the troops. Right? Go further up the jungle and like you're just getting attacked from 
like things in the jungle you can't even see like right. they're toy arrows flying out of the jungle like like you're just like what is what's happening like like the toy arrows you know uh are it's just they're just toys it's okay it's okay until it's someone spear. until someone actually fucking throws a real spear and then what but that's the metaphor for the whole war that's the war you think yeah you think it's just uh they're just throwing yeah we can be we're we're impervious we're impervious yeah we're americans man we got big ass guns and boats and they're just toy arrows no the person who pays the price chief yeah chief got killed by the arrow and what's interesting is that chief is so pissed off about him getting killed by just because he was just trying to he tries to kill uh, uh, Martin, Martin Sheen, Sheen to drag him and into the spear that the spear. he actually got impaled with. I know. And he escapes it. It's amazing. And another one of the great lines, unsung great lines, is when he is run through and Chief just goes, A spear. Like, and right. whispers it. And you're of just like, All things. Of all fucking, fucking things. A yeah, spear. A spear. <laughs> like, right. I was me? killed by a spear. Not yeah. napalm. Not high not technology, blood. anything. <laughs> no, a right. spear. A spear. Like something right. that the Romans used. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, like, Chief dies. Uh, uh, friggin', uh, and before that, um, uh, uh, the kid dies. Right. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, right. Uh, Lawrence Fishman dies Lawrence as well. Fish- I mean, that's it's like the most ridiculously poetic moment. Obviously, he's. First of all, they get mail in the middle of the jungle. I don't know how the fuck that happened. But oh yeah, they that's it. like they all the mail. This is, this is all true. Like they like you just like they had the, this weird network system to deliver mail, where it's just like you're constantly just sort of trying to aim the mail towards where the last point you knew it was, and so it's traveling around on boats and all this kind of stuff it takes forever. But like you'd end up with getting these tapes, like Lawrence Fishburne did from his mom, right? You know? And he's just listening to the fucking thing when shit goes wrong, and the tape continues to play even after. Fishburne is dead and being lowered down to the water. Right. So his mom is narrating what's going on in back home while he he gets killed. You keep your little hiney safe, you know, and you're like, Mm -hmm. there ain't nothing left, my friend. That's the end of that. You know, and the the disconnect from actual home and America and his mom is so grand. And he's out in the, he's like being lowered into the river. Who knows? Who the fuck knows where? (laughs) Right. <laughs> like this is the truth of it like that's the truth of it and his mom will the not thing that i also love is the transformation of uh the surfer guy who slowly mm-hmm. slowly goes into you know drugs and yep. like it, it basically apparently he was on a bunch of drugs when he was filming the rest oh of yeah stuff. yeah he's tripping on acid the whole time you know, yeah like, and this is what's happening this is like this is the only way that he can deal like right like he's just like I'm a fucking surfer from California, and I'm seeing this shit. Of course, I'm going to start taking a lot of drugs and trying to fucking tune out. It's right. the only way to live through it, right? And so, like right. he, like his, the, his way, and a lot of people's way to deal with the cruel insanity they're seeing is to make themselves insane so it just seems normal. Right. Like, like that's the be only part answer. of the insanity, right. be part of the insanity. And so like, you know, by the time, especially by the time, like, you know, uh, the, they go and search the boat and like everybody in the boat gets killed, you know, and it's just a fucking disaster, you know, another disaster. That's the last moment of clarity for, for everybody. You know, it's just right. like, 
like, well, now we're just fucking murderers. Like, what do we, how do we even deal with this? Right. You know, and just so, so people know, basically they run into a fishing boat in the middle of the river and their orders are to search every fishing boat. And Martin Sheen says, skip it. And then the chief says, I can't skip it because we have to do this. And uh, they end up searching it. Things go wrong. They end up killing everyone on the boat because they think they're about to be attacked. Right. But it turns out that one of the women was just trying to protect a puppy. Yeah. And so they killed the all these people on this small boat. Right. And then they take the puppy with them, which is fucking fucked up. Because yeah. the, the puppy essentially becomes tied to the surfer as kind of a symbol. You know, right. just like this, like the surfer was reduced to puppiness. Like, right. like I'm, I'm, I'm just an adorable little object in the middle of hell. Yeah. Right? Because he's a little California boy, blonde right. hair, blue and eyes. And then, and then the puppy disappears with no yeah. explanation, you know? Right. And so when they're in the deepest part of the jungle, like the surfer's just gone, he's just now tripping. There's no, like, I'm just free floating. Meanwhile, you have like chef's experience is just more and more desperate. Like, I just want, like, he tells that great story about like, they, you know, they were teaching me to be a chef. And I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Until I saw like all this beautiful meat lined up and they just dump it into this boiling water and the meat just turns gray. Like, right. That's what's happening for him. That's the experience of being a soldier in Vietnam. Like here are all these young, young men with all, you know, like their lives are ahead of them. It's fucked. It's completely fucked. And all he does, right. like, I just want to go into the jungle and maybe find some mangoes, man. We'll have a mango, you know, like me and Raquel Welch will have like a mango sex fest together. Right. Right. And he goes in the jungle and there's a tiger in the jungle and the tiger <laughs> fucking attacks them and almost eats them. They get back on the boat and they're like, the tiger, man, fucking tiger. And he loses his fucking mind. And right. he's just like, I'm never getting out of the boat. Never get out of the boat. Never get out of the boat. And then my other favorite. Never get out of the boat. Right. Never, never get out of the boat. Never get out of the boat. Absolutely. Goddamn right. Not unless you're prepared to go all the way. Right. Which leads them to their ultimate destination. They finally get to where they're going, which is actually supposed to be in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Right. That's Cambodia, so, chief. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. And right. And they get there, and reality has become completely unhinged. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's this is like Indiana Jones kind of like it's gone crazy town at this point. Indiana right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you, you you get this last last uh, bastion of like okay, so there's still some troops out here, but it's like they're no. fighting like there's like they're fighting in the darkness with somebody over a bridge, and it gets blown up and the reconstruct the bridge and like right. there's just it's just madness and fucking carousel music playing and like you're right. like what the fuck is going on right right and but like, when they get to their final destination it's like oh this is deep like and it's when they get we get beyond that like a, another line from that one the dude's like there's like someone in the jungle that's firing at them they don't know who it is and they're like oh get the roach get the roach and they get this guy out to go and kill the guy that's in the jungle in the darkness and like there's like they're screaming yelling and music and Martin Sheen's just like, I just need to talk to your CEO. Who's your CEO? Right? And the guy no, looks at him and goes, Ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's the last moment. Like, you never see the military again after that. Like, yeah, it's no, just it's, like this loss. It's, it's total chaos, dude. Total chaos. Yeah. And then you're in the deepest jungle where the only people that you're running into are Kurtz's people who are all right. like, you know, indigenous tribes, people that he has brought under his control or right. the enemy who has it's gone a, over a, to him. It's a, it's a cult. 
It's a cult. It's a it's right. an absolute which we kind of knew from the beginning, right? Yep. Like that was the thing, right? And so you show there, and they're all indigenous, as you say, et cetera. But mixed in with indigenous people are also Americans, um, Americans who are just now stripped and painted, and like they painted. are following the thing and right. all this stuff. And there's a lot of dead bodies everywhere, everywhere. <sighs> yeah, just everywhere. heads, heads on the ground, heads, heads on the ground, people arms. hanging. Yep. Yeah, it's just uh, all over the place. It's, it's a great thing you point out because, like, you don't see this happening to anybody. Like, you just get there. It just it's all chaos. Yeah, it's constant. It's obviously constantly happening. You just like you don't see it on screen. Like, no one's like, oh, now we're gonna string the guy up and do something terrible. You're just like, clearly, a day ago this happened, and it nobody cares. Right. Like, it just doesn't. Like, it's not even played like oh da da. Like it's not like there's no stinger. There's no. There's like, no explanation to it. Yeah. Nothing it's just it, yeah. It, this is what is happening. Right. And who who is the, who is the photographer who recently? Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Right. Dennis Hopper, war photographer, and Dennis Hopper is essentially playing Dennis Hopper. Yeah. And and like this is what like what like easy I said before, Dennis Hopper. Right? Like <laughs> this is I think this is it. This is actually easy ride is sort of the key of this movie. Right. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Because like. I initially didn't like Hopper until I really until I had seen Easy Rider and I really understood the context that this is uh, like this is how Martin Sheen's character sees the '60s counterculture. Like he's like, you guys are a bunch of fucking twiddling idiots. Yeah. Like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That you're you're with your. The uh, mystical He's pretensions. Amazing. And, yeah, no, yeah. no, all this yeah, stuff. yeah. It's the it's the it's the hippie it's the hippie commune. It's, it's hippie literally commune. a reaction oh. about the hippie communes, right? right? And then and, and Sheen's looking at him just like. Who the fuck is this? Jo- literally a Joker. Like he's like yeah, the fucking- heads, man. The heads. You yeah. know, sometimes people yeah. just you know. And you, you'd be, because well, what are you what are you, what are you gonna say, man? You're like and he starts trying to quote poetry that Kurtz has quoted. Right. He's trying to like. And just when like, you start to realize, he says, "If is the middle of life." It's like, yeah, the fuck it's like, like, what kind of fucking nonsense fuck is this? Shut right? The fuck up. And yeah. Kurtz also hates that guy. Like, right. That's that when you when Kurtz when you finally arrive to Kurtz, or something, yeah, yeah, he's just like, I, I despise this motherfucker. Like, right. in fact, the only reason I keep him around is to throw shit at him. Right. <laughs> like, that's that's pretty much it, you know. And that is the point. Like now. Uh, when you finally arrived, when uh, Sheen has arrived and meets Kurtz, like Kurtz is trapped. Like he is just like, he's surrounded by the madness that he has caused, that he was asked to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and it's now an endless position. He is like the devil in hell. Right. Like, this is my job now. This is it. And he tells a story. One of the great stories in the film, it's just like, you know, I came to like, uh, you know, go to this village and all these kids were inoculated because the American GIs showed up and inoculated all the kids to keep them from getting polio and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, oh my God, that story and, is horrible. And the village elders came and they took all the kids and hacked off the inoculated arms. And they saw, well, there's a little pile of arms right there. And then Kurt says, and the, the answer was so genius. Like it just takes, like it takes such will to do it, but you can't refute that answer. Like that stops what the GIs were doing, one hundred percent. Like it's the end of the story. We have the willpower to cut off our own children's arms to keep you from being here, 
that's what we're going to do. Right. Right. And, uh, and Sheen is watching the truth of all this play out. Right. And Kurtz is all but inviting him to kill him. He's mm-hmm. like, this is it. This is the end yeah. point. He, that's the only reason he keeps him alive is like, you are going to be my murderer. Yeah. This is the, you're, you, you're the me. only one I respect. You're the only one who sees right. it the way that I do. And there's, there's three people. There's three people. I should uh, note it. There's three people that are left uh, from the original thing. There's Chef. Mm-hmm. There's the surfer guy. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, obviously uh, 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 Martin Sheen. Martin right? Sheen. So, so Chef won't leave the boat, <laughs> as we said. Mm-hmm. Right? But Martin Sheen gives him the uh, information to radio mm-hmm. to bomb the place, to destroy right. everything. Right. Right. So he says, you have the information you need to make that happen. Yeah. Drop an um, arc light situation on this. Take care of business. Right. 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 And so he does a radio check, make sure like, nope, nope, I'm still in connection with them. It's like, you know, what we need to do to make this happen. I just got to give the give the code mm-hmm. and make that happen. Right. And, and it then, never happens. <laughs> no, well, right. So Martin Sheen is arrives there. And then obviously they, they take Martin and they make him prisoner. Mm hmm. Right. But they don't kill him. Right. And then at some point he's sitting there and then, uh, you know, he's obviously had several meetings with uh, uh, Kurtz with with Kurtz and Kurtz shows up to him and gives him the head of chef. Chef's head. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, shit. Basically, he's like, no, he's never going to bomb the place. Right, like you're you're a prisoner. You're yeah. trapped. There's you one thing you can do to stop this, and you have to do it. Like you can't just have somebody else do it for you. Yeah, it's you can't just have the the you know call in the the, call the in army from space. Yeah, you can't get you the cavalry to come to in. You have to do this. You have to do this. This is it. This and is so it. he lets him go. Like he actually. Mm-hmm. He's released. It took me he so has, long to understand what happened in this part of the movie. Once I got yeah. it, I was like, this, okay, now it's visionary. But they right. don't explain anything. No. So he releases him. He's no longer handcuffed to the bamboo cage, nope. right? He can walk around. He can call the army himself. But yeah, do whatever the fuck you make... want, man. But there's only one way out. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's At it. which point he does the legendary thing, you know. Where he comes out of the river with all the uh, all the the, the uh, camouflage on his face. Yep, he's born out of and the river. Born out of the river, very very baptismal, right? Mm-hmm. And actually fulfills his destiny, which is to kill Kurtz, right? Right, and and this is intercut because they also filmed the uh, a, an actual uh, uh, slaughter, ceremony, ceremonial slaughter, slaughter of a water buffalo, uh, right? Right, and, and which, so the yes, and you right. see the water buffalo get graphically decapitated in the movie so warning there it's it's horrifying every time i see it um and that's intercut with sheen kills kurtz and uh and sacrificial yes it's like and it's and it it says like this is this is the sacrifice like this is it like we are sacrificing this dude now right and so like like emotionally like when he comes out after that Mm -hmm. and he looks like fucking kurtz he looks like a leaner meaner kurtz and they all bow to him and they all bow to him like he is, he has become the leader of hell now. He is the champion. And what's interesting is he grabs the surfer out mm-hmm. of the insanity and like yep. brings him back. Yep. Like, come, come. That's right. And because like he's retrieving, yeah, he, retrieving Lance is the sort of important thing to do here. Like you're trying right. to, you're going through this passage, and on the other side, you'll find America again. Right? Question mark. 
and Lance yeah. is a fucking mess. Like yeah. Lance is ruined by this experience, and you don't know. The m- movie does not tell you what Lance happened is to be the fun. guy that was. There was another guy who went up there. Oh, you see him in the movie. It's um. I know you see him, and he stops. They see him with a beret on. Yeah, what happens to him at the end? I, he's he, like he's just stuck. wasn't he an important person he was a guy that they saw in a video or something like yeah, that he's, guy. he's like the first guy they go to say like go take care of kurtz and he does and he just becomes part of kurtz's crew that's right, right. he like he he does not have the he does not have the ability to kill kurtz so he just becomes one of Kurt, kurtz's people right you know and so the uh so martin sheen is successful in terms of he's gone through the passage of hell to get but he's become kurtz though. but he's become but he has become kurtz in order to get america back he had to become the devil in order to do it like right. he has to re- he's the into devil it. yeah and so like the 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 if you look at it simply as a spiritual investigation film like if the movie isn't real and you're just looking into you're like the heart of darkness that you're going into is martin sheen Right. Like he is coming to terms with his own cruelty and idiocy in getting involved as a soldier in this war. Like yeah. there's no turning back, though, man. You're yeah. stuck in that. No That's wife, that. no family. You lose everything. How yeah. family was important to Brando's character was really interesting. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he wanted that was a big goal for him, Sheen, right? He wanted Sheen to go tell his son what he's doing and yeah, why he's doing, it, so honor. that he didn't get an honor, he didn't get an altered view of history of what his dad right. was doing, right? Tell the truth. So it was, yeah, tell the truth yeah. of it. Because but like Sheen it, was a father, or at least married, but mm-hmm. you don't hear much about it. Just that he screwed up, or it's just over. Yeah. yeah oh, like in the film. Yeah, yeah, in the film, like the film, just ends like it is that it's like he's made the transition yeah it, it begins so as it ends right yeah. it's instant like like this is an no... infinite state that you've entered like i mean war right. like the, it is the most to me it's the most profound anti-war movie because it has it doesn't have a political point of view on war it doesn't have even an emotional point of view on war it just says this is insanity and stop lying to yourself right. like if you're suffering it stop like that's the only way. Like, there isn't any other way. It's insane. You're murdering people. There's no right. way to make that right. There's no way to live with it. There's no way to do anything else but to to kill it in yourself. That's it. Yeah. You know? And uh, and and so the 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 ending shot is this beautiful mix of like, um, you know, you see Sheen's face and it crosses to this sort of Buddha sculpture. You know, and the point of the movie is very much that it was just like. There's only one. There's only one piece, and that is to accept that war is insanity. Right. Like you can't, you can't, you can't beat that. It's in, it's impossible. And yeah. he comes out, and he's just covered with blood. He's sweating, mm. and then you see him. He gets on the boat and disappears. And then they do this kind of cross branding thing. He just reaches for a really cold Coca Cola. Oh, it's so nice. This one is, back. I mean, I'm usually I'm against like, that kind oh, of stuff, but it's so true. I'm You're so like, refreshed like, now. Can you imagine how the good that Coke The heat and humidity tastes? here and the Coke, 
little bit of lemon. Sponsored by Billabong Surfing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, dude. Like, uh, and so like, that's the thing is like the original cut of this movie is so like, the original, the original cut of this movie is so lean and magnificent in what it's saying. What's funny is that you say it's lean, but it's still two and a half hours. Oh, it's very, it's very long. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's like, like, like a bonder trucks war and peace is lean. It's also seven hours long. Like it's as lean as it could possibly be to make the statement it's saying right right? it it has to take the time that it's taking but like that's the the incredible discipline that coppola had in shooting something as brilliant as the french plantation sequence and cutting it out is is landmark to me because i see you see that scene apart from apocalypse now you're like this should go in apocalypse now you see it in apocalypse now and you're like this makes the movie kind of long. <laughs> like, I'm just like, this is a brilliant scene, but it's not actually, the, it's too, for me, right. it is too po- actually political. Like, it has nothing, this movie doesn't have anything to do just, with politics. Right, you kind of cut to the chase right off the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, so. The movie is a I think it's an important movie, scene. Right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's important. Yeah. To, yeah too yes. It's a very important one. Yes. It just doesn't fit in the movie. Like, I think that it's an important movie. To, it's an important scene to see if you love the film. It's really, it's a good thing to see as a, as a, as an appendix to the movie. Um, but I don't recommend it uh, as a, as Redux is the first watch because <laughs> Jason it says it's a lean 24 ounce porterhouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the, that's uh, the thing. It's like I, for, for Redux and for Final Cut, like I totally say, like, People should see these things because you can see all the other thoughts that go into la-di-da, it. La di da, la di da, la di da, la di da, la la. But um, but it's a first watch. <laughs> Stick to the original cut. It's it's literally flawless. You can't. All right. I uh, uh, we are we are we are way over, which is fine. It's our hundred seven. But still lean. We're still, <laughs> still lean. lean. Yeah. Still lean. Yeah. We are as long as the complete Redux version of actually Apocalypse. Now That's right. we've had an amazing episode. Scott has been really gracious with his time and his stories, uh, and we're able to actually ram through all of this stuff. Uh, Casey, uh, thank you for joining us on this. Yeah. Uh, any awesome. of you guys? I'm putting in the in our chat uh, our Discord link. Uh, for any of you guys who want to join our Discord, our Discord actually is quite active. We don't have a huge amount of people on there, but those who are on there, we are very active in terms of our memes, and uh, especially every morning we all play framed. And <laughs> a little framed uh, framed off, yeah. It's pretty framed great. off and <laughs> competition of who can identify the film faster, uh, which is a lot of fun. So uh, it's, been, it's been amazing. Uh, I can't believe we have been doing this for four years and we're at a hundred episodes. Is it four years? It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Four years, buddy. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, very, very, uh, uh, happy that we made this happen. And Scott wasn't. Oh yeah. Aren't you excited about that? Eric? That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's pretty good. I feel old. We've done, I, I tried to count it. It's it gets a little fuzzy to try and count. We've done over like 150, 160 movies. Because we yeah. do things, we're doing things in combos That's and crazy. Threes. So yeah. yeah, like it's a lot, and it is kind of amazing that like 
we hadn't done Apocalypse Now. <laughs> We've done like Well, that's the thing. Actually, I'm going to say that as a win. Like, yeah. like the fact that we've gone like through all the episodes. Like that around. Yeah, because <laughs> yes, it just means we have a huge well of stuff to go through. And yeah. like the fact that we missed Apocalypse Now is like, great. Like 200th episode? Like, yeah, let's do, for, you know, another important film. Like, yeah, exactly. Eventually we'll get right. back to we, – we, we, we did do Citizen Kane with Meg, so we can't lean on that one. But there's, We there's did more do Citizen Kane with Meg, but that made sense right because yep. mank was in just came out and it yep. sort of brought relevance to citizen kane again so yep. uh, but there's you know you know maybe we'll do gone with the wind at some point oh know. gone with the wind yes right. yes, you yes. Know what i mean yeah, like right. yeah, whatever there's like a million things like upon the fact that we haven't we haven't done lawrence of arabia right like that's mm, another big one right it's big one. so and that was another Scott Ross uh, cinema paradiso. You know, Eric, yeah. you mentioned that one. Yeah. So uh, we'll I get to I, I didn't know other people loved that movie. Hey, great, I've been watching uh, Touch of Evil, and then I went to Psycho. I showed my daughter Psycho. Oh, yeah. How'd it go? Oh, yeah. We should do that pairing because it's oh, the it's same great. actress. And yeah. So good. So good. Gently. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Yeah, no, my man. daughter psycho the other day. We still have lots and lots of stuff to 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 do that. Yes, uh, I watched the uh, uh, Casey says I watched the Flash Gordon episode. Did you guys ever talk about Disney's Black Hole or Excalibur? Well, we talk about Black Hole and Excalibur. We've actually mentioned it many times. We actually yes. haven't done episodes specifically. We have not done that yet. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I'm scared to watch because I. What the last time I watched Black Hole is when I was a little kid, and I kind of liked huh. it. But it's going to feel really. I bad would. Looking I agree. Day. I'm with Casey. I think like rewatch Black. Hole. It is not a good movie. It's a shaky mess, but it is a right. fascinating shaky mess. Yeah, really, really wild movie. Really wild. And Excalibur is another weird one. Yeah, yeah. Excal- What Excalibur if they made beautiful. what Flash Gordon, but Apocalypse Now, like. Kurtz, do, do, do. oh, <laughs> he's killed every one of them. Yeah, he's in the jungle. I don't think we, we need a Freddie Mercury there. We don't have a Freddie Mercury right now. That's, that's the only way to do that, dude. That yeah. would be so great. I don't know. Um, but yeah. But yeah, that that's, was, uh, Anthony's believe. saying it's very watchable. Black Hole is very watchable. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, there's like I I have a lot of positive things to say about Black Hole, and like I think that I know that Joe Kaczynski uh, has also wanted to do Black Hole for a long time. I heard, and I, heard. I would I think that there is a version of the Black Hole that is uh, unique and spectacular and terrifying if they could figure it out. But yeah. Disney is Disney is interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting because that's where he started. That's his origin story, right? It's taking old movies. He started with Tron, man. He's Tron, like, he, exactly. You know, so he's which has become that. Tron. Tron Legacy has become a bit of a minor classic for younger generations. Is it? Yes. Like that really changed. It was a bomb when it came out, and everyone's like, "Oh well, blah, that's it." But now it's actually grown in stature. People, it's like a lot of play on Disney. And uh, and I think interest has grown in doing. There are Tron I'm 3. on several Facebook groups that are like huge Tron, yep. like groups like. Yeah, it's is, very it's interesting. Like yeah, it's like the low rent Blade Runner. I swear it's it's a really strange little the piece. low. Well, and think, think about <laughs> think about how long it took Blade Runner. Like we don't think about it because it was like oh whatever Blade Runner, but like. It took a long time before people realized. Oh, dude! It happened the same thing for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You know, like it bombed and it came out, and everyone's like, and now it's like, okay, yeah, it's great. Union. It just took. It's just a little longer. Just a little longer. You let that cook. 
It'll, it'll settle in the kettle. It's going to be good. Anthony says he wants. Anthony says he wants Neil Blancamp to redo uh, Black. Uh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yes, I'm not, like as as harsh as we are on some of Blancamp's screenplays. knew should do it. Villain yes, of course yes, I was a villain. Course, yes, yeah, no, but... I actually no. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna step back on that. I think that Blancamp is gonna bring some. Blomkamp, yeah, Blomkamp's been experimenting for a good long time. I have strong hopes for his next outing. Whatever it is, yeah. I think he's in some interesting stuff. He's yeah, always yeah. interesting. He's always interesting. And I think I think Joe is like I appreciate his passion, but he may not be the right person for that. Joe, well, because, I don't know. He'd make an interesting movie. I mean, he's a really good film. Oh, he'd make a beautiful yeah. movie. Yeah, without a doubt. He'll make but a like, beautiful movie. There's a there's a dirty weirdness to black hole that uh yeah the yeah, blank camp could could could, could probably exploit pretty and i don't think villeneuve can do it either like if villeneuve would be too heady for it yeah no it's gotta be there's something rough it's gotta be something hole. a little bit like yeah. gritty and i think Ugly. gaspar noir <laughs> yeah. that's it yeah. gaspar no- gaspar noir's black hole would be oh my insane. god oh my god yes yeah yes. that would be great okay well, what's the guy, the guy the guy the guy uh uh the guy uh killing the sacred deer guy that oh guy. yeah um, um, Argos, uh, he's great. yeah <laughs> that would be awesome dude. that would be a wild black hole dude that would be a disturbing the black hole yeah. they take off the masks of all the robots and every one of them is colin farrell <laughs> oh my god i definitely did <laughs> definitely watch that yes for sure yeah well, well what all... what is uh what is upcoming for martini john what are we getting into uh okay so we've just done 100 episodes so to me that's a big landmark that i can uh i am extremely proud of and also very happy to have behind us um but uh i we have a lot of stuff going on still uh for those of you guys who are new to this uh, we are uh we we record podcasts live through Twitch, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and we do them every Saturday. We normally do it at a later time. We did it earlier because Scott's scheduled, but also it helped out some of our people in Europe who could uh, be part I like of this so, earlier schedule too, though. If you guys want to try to figure out the earlier schedule, we can do I that. I'm not opposed to that. We can still make that happen. Uh, maybe can invite more people. Uh, but if you guys are want to do that, again, get on our Discord and say, hey, like, make the earlier schedule happen. I'm Okay with it. It's just going to interrupt my fishing schedule. But really, yeah, it's fine. It's or fine. we start doing it while you're fishing. It's not bad. Uh, yeah, I just got to get back earlier, prep yeah. a few things. Anyway, so that's the thing uh, on that. Uh, we are uh, we are doing a lot of things at Martini Giant beyond podcasting. We're actually thinking creatively in terms of. Uh, actually making things. Uh, some of that is still obviously uh, in development, so we're not actually going to be revealing too much at this point, but we're making some interesting things. Uh, but it's all related to the Martini Giant brand and what we want to do, and I'm excited about that. So I meet with uh, Eric and Dan every day to talk about those things, and again, it's the best part of my day. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but yeah, be part of the conversation, join our discord. Uh, and, uh, I know people say that all the time in the web three world, but I am saying this is, this is our peeps. These are things that are important to us and we are not banging on what is a good movie and a bad movie. We're actually talking about our passion for movies and mm-hmm. this is a big thing for us. So, Amen. um, and that's, uh, been great. And if you guys have gone through the, 
three and a half hours of this podcast, you will notice that we are very passionate about these things. So excited <laughs> to have fair. that. Um, yeah. And Anthony was part of the conversation. Thank you, Anthony, for uh, joining us. And you were, you were absolutely uh, wonderful on this, uh, this podcast. So yeah, chat um, in general, you've been and, totally amazing uh, yeah, and, and, and very inspiring and uh, you keep the conversation rolling as we go. So it's Thanks very much for joining. I, and, and I, it, the challenge has been, you guys have actually said some amazing things on chat, but it's so hard to interrupt the conversation between Eric and Dan. And when Scott was involved, it's like, oh my God, I can't stop. <laughs> like, by the way, something great happened in chat, but like, uh, uh, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, we, I, I appreciate all of your input on chat and I really, really, uh, was, was great to do that. All right. So, uh, next week we'll probably do a watch party. We haven't figured out what it is. So here's a deal for the watch parties and something we started doing recently. If you guys are uh, subscribers to Twitch, um, which really helps us out, you uh, are going to be in the subscriber-only section of our Discord. uh, And that allows you to pick a watch party for us to do and be a guest on the actual watch party. And we would love to have you as uh, that guest. So uh, make sure and uh, let us know if you are a subscriber. Uh, and we will put you on the subscriber only section. So like last week we did, uh, or two weeks ago, we did Cherry 2000. That was hilarious. Yeah, that was, that was great with Rich Carlson. Fantastic time. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a good one. And we've had a couple of other ones. So uh, uh, watch parties are generally movies that we don't actually have to analyze too much. Like Apocalypse Now needed a lot of discussion. Cherry, Cherry 2000 Tuesday. does not need a lot of does, explanation. <laughs> yes. So uh, we can just goof around on those ones. So uh, the watch parties don't actually become podcasts. They just become experiences that we all can enjoy. Um, so, but I would love to, you know, let us know if you'd like to be part of the, the watch party and subscriber section. That would be really cool. And the and more people also, that uh, we have involved in, say, our Discord, the more people can join us in the watch party overall. We need more people to join. So please spread the word about us. If you like the show, tell people about the Discord. Tell people about us on Twitter if you can, because uh, the more, the merrier. That's how that's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think I, 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 we need to wrap this up. It's been three and a half hours. This might be our, our longest episode. <laughs> I think it deserved it. It was fantastic. Scott it was, deserved it. It was a great conversation. That was awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was great. All right. Are you guys ready? Let's yeah. do it. All right. Drink. Talk. Drink. All right. Good night, everybody. 100 episodes. Night. That was awesome. Thank you. 100 episodes. Thank you.